Hey everyone, this is episode number 110 of the Classic Gaming Podcast. Today's date is July 27th, 2018. I'm Robert Ring. And with me is Mr. Jay Totoro. Hello, that was a long, long pause there. I know, I was trying to think of something creative to say. How'd it go? Poorly. What you been up to? I don't know a lot. Still playing a lot of StarCraft. Um, oh, really? <laughs> playing a lot of ping pong, oddly enough. Ping pong? Like real life ping pong? <laughs> yeah. Not um, virtual ping pong. Why? <laughs> I know. Just, just checking. Fun. Where are you um where are you playing this where are you playing ping pong at? Uh, my parents have a table and then uh, my new office has one. Just spent a lot of time. Pinging and ponging, if you will. So heading over to the old parents' house, playing some ping pong, and then heading to work and playing some ping pong. Yeah, I'm gonna go pro here soon. Uh, that's pretty sick. Anything? Anything else? No, not really. How about yourself? Uh, actually, I, I was telling you earlier. I just got back from New York. Well, I got back a few days ago. Uh, we went on a like a four or five day trip there, just to kind of like just a little summer vacation type trip, and uh, it was fun. I went to the, there's a Nintendo store there and I got a, first off, I saw the, that Game Boy. Have you ever seen the Game Boy that was blown up in the Gulf War? But, no. uh, but it like still works. Interesting. By the way, if I sound terrible, it's because I'm getting over a cold that I got when I was in New York and, uh, I'm better now, except my like lungs are not better yet. So I think I sound a little bit bad. So apologies in advance. I'll, I'll probably make you read 100% of the emails. But, uh, you, you sound no worse than normal, I'll be honest with you. Okay, that's good. But you've told me that before also, and I've sounded True. fucking terrible. But um, anyway, there's this Game Boy that was like, it's like the whole face of it is melted and charred and like black, but it's still, and it like, it was caught in an explosion in the Gulf War, uh, but it still runs. And they have it like in a little like a uh, display case there, just like hooked up like to like a permanent power supply running Tetris on it. That's funny. It's pretty awesome. Um, it doesn't surprise me. I mean, those things are long-lasting, you know? Yeah, yeah. Apparently. Also, I bought a um, Game Boy Glass. It's a uh, it's like a pint glass, and it's got, it, like, the front of it, like, looks like a like the front of a Game Boy. And when you put cold liquid in it, then the Game Boy screen, like, basically lights up more or less and turns into, and it has the starting screen for Super Mario Land. Interesting. Yeah. Kind of cool. It's pretty cool. But um, other than that, that's about it for me. We just had that trip, and that's kind of been what I've been doing for the past little while. Nice. Yeah. Yeah, I've been doing a whole lot, so I'm kind of right there with you. I hear you. I hear you. Yeah. Nothing too bad, nothing too crazy. Struggle is real. Yeah, for real. Uh, okay, well, I would say let's move on to news, but I actually don't have any news this time. Interesting. Uh, I nothing. I, haven't I haven't caught anything pop up. In the old news section, you know? Yeah, I haven't seen much going on as well. I'm trying to think if there's anything. Yeah, I can't think of anything as well. Well, uh, we do have Game of the Quarter to discuss. That will be decided this episode, but we're, we'll, we're going to save that for later for two reasons. One, keep everybody on edge. But more importantly, because going. that's going to... What? Gotta keep the hype going. Keep the hype going. and uh, But also, because that's most of the people I think are going to... Like that's basically going to come in via emails is where they're voting. So we'll kind of tally that as we are going through the emails. Sound good to you? Sounds good to me, bro. 
This is the fastest we've ever gone from starting the podcast to actually talking about video games. It's true. Usually we talk about UFC or... <laughs> any number of topics that none of our listeners care about basically Pretty uh, much. but this time we're getting straight into it so maybe i'll start since i'm since it's still early i'll give my uh throat i'll i'll, I'll use it for now then then give my then give it a little rest give my voice a rest and maybe i'll be able to read a few emails if we do it this way okay. um okay that's a good this feels so weird but let's let's get let's get rolling so i've got three games once again to talk about nice um, I do not have any Atari, any more Atari Jaguar games yet to talk about, um, because part of the reason is because I was out of town for most of the past week, so I didn't have time to play it. And also there were, there was, uh, another game, which you may remember me talking about previously that I, that, that recently came up that I wanted to play for the podcast. So I've been focusing a lot of my time on that one. So I still don't have any more Atari Jaguar games to talk about. I do want to get to some more of those soon though. So I am going to be trying to do that since I just got the Atari Jaguar. I really wanted to talk about those, but so far I've only covered Rayman. So those will be still to come. But today, by the way, real quick on a side note, there is a, um, Atari Jaguar controller. It's the, uh, pro controller. And basically it's, uh, the same as the Atari Jaguar, except it just has, it has shoulder buttons as well. And, uh, I was, I was reading about this and it's, uh, Apparently really important for like a handful of games, including, I forgot which fighting game. I think it was Primal Rage or <laughs> some dinosaur fighting game. Um, some dinosaur fighting game. Some dinosaur fighting game. I think it was Primal Rage, but it might have been something else. Is that and a few others where it's like the game is, it like makes it much, much easier to play the game. Uh, the Atari Pro Controller is $200 on eBay. What? Because it's like is a very rare apparently and like they, I don't know if it just didn't sell well or just people, I mean, apparently like not a ton of people bought them, but they're like, they didn't sell too many of them. And so now on, on eBay, those one, one pro controller is $200. And all it is, is Jeez. the Atari controller with two shoulder buttons. That's crazy. Oh no, yeah, I take it back. It also has, I think it has, I could be wrong. It may have three extra buttons. Kind of like, you know how the Sega Genesis came out with that, uh, additional controller eventually that has the three buttons and then has three over that. Yeah. This may have three extra like that. I don't remember, but regardless, $200 for a controller. I meant to mention that a while back and, uh, cause I thought it was pretty amusing, but anyway, onto real games or onto games period. I'm going to start off with Mega Man two. This came out in 1988 for the Nintendo. Huh? My birth year. Oh shit. Shit. That means you're five years younger than me. Sounds about right. Mm -hmm. What a badass game this is. You've played have you played Mega Man 2? Uh let me take a look and make sure. I couldn't remember a while back like I could I used to not be able to remember which one it was that I had played growing up, but it was definitely Mega Man 2. I couldn't remember if it was two or three. But uh Oh my gosh. I used to play this a whole bunch growing up and also like in high school. I, I at one point I kind of dug out my Nintendo and some and found some of my old games and this was one of them and I played it a whole bunch in high school. I never ended up beating it. But I played it a ton because this game is so much fun. And I hadn't played a Mega Man game in a while because even though I remember 
having a lot of fun with it. I also kind of remember the, um, well, I thought that I remembered the gameplay mechanics being uh, not easy, but kind of like simplistic, not, not, maybe like more like simple. Like there's just not a whole lot going on. It's just, you know, an action platformer where you're jumping and shooting. Sure. But, uh, that is really, that really does not do the game justice as I'm sure anybody who's played the game is yelling at the, at their phone right now or whatever it is that they're listening to this on their computer. Um, because it has, first of all, an amazing soundtrack. It had like, when you first start the, even just the start menu or not like, like the title screen, it's just bad. It just makes you feel like, oh shit, this is badass. Let's get going. Let's kick some fucking ass. Uh, the different stages, most of their music is really, really good. Uh, Dr. Wiley's level near the end is really, really, really also badass. This game just feels so good playing it. Even so the, uh, there are, there is some cheap stuff in it. So, uh, you know, obviously most of the game you're running around is a side scrolling action platform where you're just shooting bad guys pretty much. Uh, for the most part, the, the combat, like when there's bad guys to shoot, most of that stuff is pretty easy, but there is some kind of more like platforming based stuff that gets pretty tough. Um, there is, I, f- I think it's, oh gosh, is it, uh, oh my gosh, now I can't remember. I want to say Crash Man, where you have to, there's this one part on his level. So if you're not familiar with the Mega Man games, the way it is, is it take, when you start the game and it basically takes you to a screen where it has eight bosses and you, and you, and they each have their own level and you just pick which one you want to go to and you do them in any order that you want. Um, typically the way it goes is, well, whenever you beat a boss, you gain his power and you can use his attack. And so a lot of the times there are some bosses that you want to do earlier because the stuff that you get for them is, is helpful for fighting additional bosses. Yeah. Later bosses. But, uh, but you can, but you're free to do them however you want. And so I think it's crash man's level where there's one part on his stage where you have to fall where, where you, you just there's like a big pit basically and you jump it into it and you're falling and there's little platforms here and there you, you fall i think i think this whole thing goes on like maybe five screens you fall down five full screens and but on each screen there are platforms sometimes there's a couple platforms in the middle sometimes there's some on the edge and as you're falling there's these big lasers that shoot from the from the side of the screen and they go all the way across and it's like a beam uh, whereas like they leave a trail and any, if you hit any part of it, then <clears throat> it kills you instantly. Jeez. You have to play this part over and over and over again and memorize exactly how to do it and hit it 100% perfectly to not get killed by these things. Cause if you're on a platform, literally half a second too long, that's, that's too long. And you're going to get hit by a, by a, uh, by a beam, but before you can fall the rest of the way, some of them, like you have to land, there's platforms that you can't avoid, but you just have to position yourself to where you're on them for as short of a time as possible before you like run off the edge. Um, it is fun kind of in a way to where that you have to like master this, but especially, so I played this on the SNES classic. So I could, and I, so I had the luxury of using save states. Obviously you can't do that if you're playing this on a Nintendo back in the day. So I can see this being extremely frustrating. 
but um, it's it's crazy how exactly like I felt like a fucking speedrunner trying to play these levels because just because <laughs> just because of the precision you have to have and hitting everything exactly right, falling down these screens as fast as you possible. Because again, if you mess up at all, you just can't. There's no way to uh, you'll you'll just end up getting killed by the by the beams. There's also one part on Heatman's stage where there are these um, platforms that that fade away and come back. They like disappear and come back and they're in different orders where you might have to jump on one and then like jump up to where another one's going to be and it wait for it to fade in at exactly the right time at the top of your jump and just hope you timed it exactly right. And you have to go across like this huge ass pit doing this the whole way. And then like they, they, they mess, they mess with you or they'll be going like in a predictable pattern for a while, but then all of a sudden it'll be in a different spot and you're jumping and expecting a platform to appear in a spot, but it's not there. And then you just die. That one is also super tough, but that one's kind of mitigated by if you, um, if you wait and do that one last, then you have an ability at that point that where you basically ride a little kind of like hoverboard thing just across the whole thing and you can just and you don't even have to worry about the platforms at all you just you just ride your little hoverboard so there's stuff like that there's some like really tricky parts like that but but also at the same time the, in other ways the game is really forgiving there's health absolutely everywhere so <laughs> like anytime you kill a bad it's kind of like metroid anytime you kill a bad guy there's a chance of there being health and if you need to go back and just farm bad guys, then all you have to do is like go back to like go past where he was on the screen and then go back and he'll immediately respawn. So you just keep shooting bad guys and getting health. And it's really easy to keep your health up that way. Um, also the bosses are very easy for like 90% of them are, uh, and not necessarily because they are easy to avoid their attacks, but because none of the bosses have high HP at all. So you can just, start shooting them and it almost doesn't even matter. There was, there was one boss. It was, um, who was it? It was a Woodman. <laughs> when I fought him, I'm, I didn't dodge any of his attacks, but I still beat him just because I shot him fast enough to kill him before he killed me. <laughs> that's surprising. <laughs> yeah. I was, I was pretty surprised by that, but, uh, but that, I mean, yeah, that's how like all of the bosses were. I'd, I would just be like, holy shit, I'm doing terrible against this boss. I keep getting hit and hit, I keep getting hit over and over again, but I would end up winning just because their health is so low. I just shot him enough to kill him first. Um, but when, once you beat all the bosses, then it takes you to essentially, well, depending on if you're looking at it time wise or content wise is there's really only three, three or four. I can't remember exactly how many levels after you beat all the bosses. And it's kind of like the boss the bosses, like the, the, the final bosses, uh, castle more or less. And you're going through that to get to him. Um, it's just, like I said, it's just a few levels, but it's like five times harder than the rest of the game coming up to it. Um, it's still the same thing where most of the bad guys aren't too tough to get past, but then there's just parts here and there that become really tough. Uh, like there are a few kind of mid bosses before you get to him, but they're all harder. Well, one of them at least is, is harder than any of the bosses leading up to it. It's this room where there are these little, um, little like nodes more or less that shoot lasers at you. And they're all throughout the room. 
And there, you have to jump on platforms and stuff to get to them. But you also have to... There are these little walls that you have to blow up to get to just about all of them. And the only way to get past this, quote, boss, that's these, like, you know, eight little things throughout the room shooting lasers at you, is uh, you have to use Crash Man's power, which is these bombs that you can shoot. The bombs are the only way to destroy these little walls that you have to get through to 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 get to be able to shoot these things. And the bombs are also the only things that could do damage to these little lasers that are shooting at you. But the thing is, you have to do it exactly perfectly in such a way that you don't use even one more bomb than necessary or else you'll oh, run out of geez. ammo and you can't win. I hate that kind of stuff. It's I, so stressful. I do too. So there's a couple things going on here. One... The level you have to like navigate it in such an or like this room you have to na- you have to navigate it in such a way that there are you have to like there are a few little of these brick walls that are explodable that you have to just go around instead of blowing them up or else you'll use too many bombs cuz if you just if you blow up all of the walls that you can blow up then you don't have enough bombs to kill the boss to kill like the little lasers so you have to plan it out just exactly right to where you go to this one first, blow up this wall, blow up the gun, go this way, jump over this other one, and then like you have to you have to do it in such an order because at some points you can't get back to other parts of the stage without blowing up stuff and wasting your bombs on it. So you have to plan it out 100% perfectly. There is one exact way to be able to beat this room. And you have to you have to play it, you know, however many times figured out. And also you have to Make sure that you don't use any bombs before you get to that room. Otherwise, you just won't have enough ammo to do it, period. So that was super tough uh, and a little bit cheap, I, I would say. And then would you, and then the final boss, you have to go into it with at least like 80% health because there are some attacks that you cannot dodge. Wow. So that I... Kind of, uh. Yeah, I, I didn't really like that either. I don't think any most people would nowadays uh because i tried it so many times i was like how can i dodge this and then i just like was like there's not a way to dodge this so i kind of had to i think back up a little bit and load one of my previous save states and then get to them with a little bit more health and uh and, and then like still try it like 10 more times before i ended up beating them but all in all the the feel of the game the, it, it it controls well the controls are responsive it's fun switching out the um the different powers you know a lot of the game you don't really have to switch out the different powers but it's just kind of fun knowing that you can um and then like i said the music is amazing the level design is cool the uh the the game just feels good to play and uh the the levels like are all they all look really neat it's just flaws aside it's a game that just feels good to play i think is the best way that i have to describe it so mega man 2 holds up actually much better despite its flaws i would say it actually holds up much better than i than i expected i was extremely happy with it next i've got another nes game this one came out in 1987 and it's not nearly as popular as mega man 2 this one is called rad racer this game was in, um, if you remember, well, I, I, have you seen The Wizard? The movie? Yeah. 
it's the, it's the you would you would know it if you saw it. it's the Nintendo movie with the kid that is really good at Nintendo. Yeah, like the Power Glove. A long time ago. It's got the it's got yeah, the yeah, it's got the Power right. Glove. Well, this is this is the racing game that the kid with the Power Glove plays. Oh, really? Yeah. What's it called? And he, it's called Rad Racer. And he oh makes, yeah, I know the name. Okay. And he makes it look like you can like use the Power Glove for like pixel perfect precision, basically, <laughs> which is hilarious because it could not be any farther from the truth. Uh, but I, I had this game when I was little and I remember it, like I could never do very well in this game. So it's, it's a basic kind of, uh, sort of like cruise in USA where you're not on a racetrack. You're like racing down the street and there's other cars that you have to dodge and stuff. Mm-hmm. Not nearly as good as cruise in USA, but it's the same kind of, uh, it's the same type of racing game. You can pick from two cars. You can be a Ferrari or an F1 car. Both of wow. them... Both of them, hand, both of them are basically exactly the same. They handle exactly the same, and they, their speed is exactly the same. So there's no difference just besides the way they look. And you're racing through different, like sometimes you're on a city, sometimes you're by like one level you're in a canyon, on one you're outside of Greece, and uh, it's just you have to get to certain checkpoints in a certain amount of time in order to keep going. So the things that'll slow you down obviously are just going slow, uh, but mainly crashing, whether it's in, whether it's crashing into other cars or veering off the, you know, veering off the road on a turn and crashing into a tree or a sign or something like that. Anytime you crash, your car kind of goes, fly- it doesn't like end it, but it, your car kind of goes flying off to the side and then it stops. And then it kind of slowly sort of just, strafes more or less back onto the road and then you start going again. So you lose a lot of time anytime you crash, obviously. Um, and so, like I said, to keep to all the levels are based on is make sure you get to this or that checkpoint in a certain amount of time. And if you do, then you get more time to get the next checkpoint. Um, there are so many times where I would be playing and I would get down to two, like one or two seconds and make it to the checkpoint and then get to keep going. It was kind of weird how, how frequently it happened, but the, this is a very, very simple game. I used to have a lot of trouble with it when I was younger playing it, but I, I mean, as you may imagine, it's a lot easier now just because I, I probably because I don't try to go full speed into every single turn without breaking, you know, typical, oh, that's boring. T- <laughs> typical racing game strategy, more or less. And that's, that's basically, that's all there is to this game. The, the only other obstacle besides making sure you're not going too fast on turns is the cars that you have to pass because they will change lanes sporadically without any warning and without caring whether you're there or not. So whenever you're passing, you, whenever you're passing a car, you have to be really careful. And basically a lot of time, the best thing to do is if there's a car you're passing, wait for it to change lanes because it's probably not going to change lanes twice in a row really fast, you know? So wait till it changes and then try to get past it real quick before it'll crash back into you. But the only other thing I have to say about this game, well, two two more things about this game, because like I said, it's very simple, not not really worth returning to unless you have nostalgia for it, like I kind of do. But some of the levels are city levels at night, and they look really cool. It's basically everything is black, but with a lot of neon stuff. You can see like neon city lights in the background, and then even the uh, the the lines on the road are kind of neonish. So those levels look really cool. And also the the music is surprisingly good on this game. It's, it's not Mega Man good, but it's kind of like a sort of frantic, hectic, kind of uh, kind of crazy kind of good. So 
Rad Racer 2. Nothing to write home about. My third and final game. I mentioned last time that I was starting to play this. It just was released on GOG a couple weeks ago. The fourth and final LucasArts Monkey Island game, Escape from Monkey Island. Oh, yeah, that's right. Yep. I've been very... Uh, I've really been looking forward to playing this. I've, I've been wanting to play this for a long time. So this came out in 2000. It is a point-and-click adventure game, of course. Uh, it's on PC, and they released it on PS2 as well. Um, so, so the ones that I played growing up were Monkey Island 1 and 2. I played a little bit of Curse of Monkey Island, but basically not enough to remember any of it. And then when that came out on GOG recently, I played it and loved it. And I was just like, okay, that means they're probably going to come out with Escape from Monkey Island. I really hope they do so I can finally play the, the final one. I have heard a lot of bad things about it. Um, well, I say I haven't heard a lot of bad things. I've only heard, I've only heard bad things. So, so I've just heard people say, oh yeah, it's not good. And that's all I've heard anybody say about it pretty much is, oh yeah, Monkey Island 4. That's That one really wasn't good. I can say now that they are all correct. This game is, the best way I can describe it is boring. Hmm. You, so the premise of this is you're back on Melee Island, which is the very first island of the very first game that you start off on. It's where uh, Elaine Marley is from, and that's kind of the girl that you fall in love with over the series, and you get married to her in at the end of uh, Curse of Monkey Island. And uh, so this one is kind of you returning from your honeymoon with her. You're going back to Melee Island to kind of settle down or whatever, start, you know, go back to running the island and just live out your lives as pirates running this island. So you get back to Melee Island and it turns out that since she's been gone so long, they've declared her dead. So she is no longer the mayor. You're good. And at the same time, there's a real estate mogul who's buying up land all over the place and basically turning everything into tourist attractions. So, you know, obviously you don't like this. So you want to try to figure out a way to stop him. Uh, long story short, he, it turns out that this guy is, spoilers, turns out this guy is working with LeChuck, uh, who's the villain of the series. And you basically want to try to stop both of them. The, so as far as the game goes, this game is different from the others in that this was in this, this was made during the time where. All adventure games, for whatever reason, well, because all other games were doing this, adventure game developers also decided, we have to start making our games in 3D. Oh, no. Uh huh. <laughs> Basically, it didn't work out for just, well, I, I, I won't go that far. I'll say there are very many that it didn't work out well for, and this is one of them. Um, so, part of it is it just looks kind of bad. You know the the 3D graphics. They're they're not. I'll 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 describe them as uninspired. They're creative at sometimes, but for the most part, they're just dull and kind of lifeless. I think back on Monkey Island one and two, and it's like you can see the care taken in every little bit of scenery, and it just is a beautiful game. This one is just like, oh yeah, we put some 3D trees over here. How's that look? All right, now we got a 3D house right here. 
he, all right, here's a 3D kind of cr- kind of crazy looking character. We'll put him here. You know, just like nothing is interesting about the g- way the game looks. So that that's a huge letdown. You know, even Curse of Monkey Island, which took a pretty sharp deviation uh, art-wise from the first two Monkey Islands, which were all pixel graphics. Curse of Monkey Island was very cartoony, but it also but it still felt very uh very lovingly made. This one really just feels like they just threw a bunch of assets into the game. Um, so it's 3D, doesn't look great. Also, you can no longer use, you cannot use the mouse in this game. Keyboard for everything. So this means a couple things. One, it uses tank controls. So it's left and right to rotate Guybrush forward or up to make him walk whichever direction he's facing back to make him walk backwards, you know, away from wherever he's facing. You can hold shift to make him run to move around faster, but it becomes extremely annoying because if you, if he hits the edge of like an area where he can't walk anymore, then he turns and basically starts running a random direction. And usually this is not the direction you want to go. So you have to stop, hold down whichever, you know, hold down left or right to get him to rotate where it was you were trying to get him to go again, then start trying to run and w- run again and usually end up hitting another, you know, invisible wall and he just turns randomly and starts running in off another direction. It gets super annoying. Uh, so it's really a hassle to get him facing the right way. You know, even sometimes if there's, even if you're not running, there, there are some times where it's hard to get him the right facing the exact right way just to get to a certain spot. Like if there's kind of a narrowish path, he has to like walk into it just right or else he, again, just like turns sideways and starts walking the other direction. Super annoying. You have to, the, the other problem with this is, you know, in in particularly LucasArts uh, point and click adventure games, a lot of the times when you get to a new area, what you do is you look around the screen and you see what looks like something that I can pick up or do something with. And you kind of move the mouse around to find new things. Or, you know, if you see something that looks like you can use, you, you point the mouse over it to see if it's something, you know, that you can even point at. And then if so, then you try looking at it or picking it up or whatever it is that you want to do with it. Since there's no mouse and no cursor in this one, this means you have to physically move the character to every single thing that you want to inspect to see if it's something that you can use. Granted, they do for the most part, do a pretty good job of making these things identifiable. Like if there's something on the ground that you need to pick up, usually it stands out in some way. So they did do a pretty good job with that, but it's still really annoying to have to move him everywhere just to check out things. Um, it's also disorienting navigating from one area to the next. Because if you're like, say in a town that it has, that's like four screens big. You run off to the edge of the screen to go to the next spot, and then the whole perspective changes. And you might become you might you might run off the screen going eastward, and then it has you pop in like from the south in this next area, or maybe from like a corner where it's like not a hundred percent clear like which way you're supposed to go to get back to where you were. Or even if you do, then it's like well, there's these you know where am I in relation to the other things that are in this town? I, I it's very easy to like lose your sense of direction in this game. It's kind of like Mist. Do you know how in Mist, like when you turn, since it just like snaps from one screen to the next, 
that it yeah like, vaguely it, it's, it, it's been a minute yeah well you know like when you do that you never know if you've turned like 10 degrees or like 45 degrees or like 100 degrees you know you kind of you kind of remember that mm-hmm. it's sort of like that where every time you go from one area to the next it's like you lose all sense of where you are in relation to everything else uh so everything about the graphics and the interface just kind of suck um, and then to do things with stuff, you, you P is to pick something up. I is to go to your inventory. U is to use something else to look. It's all, that's, that's all pretty self-explanatory. And, you know, in general, I actually really do like it when I can just use keyboards for games. Uh, I say this particularly because, you know, I play a lot of roguelikes and in roguelikes, 90% of them, you only use the keyboard or you at least have the option of only using the keyboard. And so it's not the fact that you don't use a mouse. It's the fact that this doesn't work for a point and click adventure game. And in this one, especially they, if, if it does work for a point and click adventure game, they didn't do it because this, it just does not work in this game. Uh, and then, so, so aside from the controls and the graphics, like I said, the game is really just boring. There's no fun and interesting characters. Like the whole entire monkey Island series is built on, cool like neat characters funny characters weird characters uh and interesting scenery weird looking things around or cool looking things all around and usually a pretty good story this game lacks every single one of those things even famous characters that come back to this game are boring like there's a voodoo lady who's in all of the games and she was always kind of cool and mysterious this game she's incredibly boring. She, she's not even in it for very much. Well, she, she's not really in any of them for very much, but you talk to her and she just almost has nothing to say to you. And then there's Stan, who's a salesman and he's a different, he, he's selling a different type of thing in every game that you see him. Um, and this one, he's, it's, he's basically thrown in as an afterthought and he has even less time than the voodoo lady does. It's, uh, it's extremely disappointing. Like I said, the scenery is bland as well. Uh, the environments just really feel lifeless. Oh, as I was playing this game, all I could think of was like how far it is removed from when I from when I first played Monkey Island One, and like the feeling I got playing that game, and how I was just like in awe. I wanted to find out more about the world. I wanted to just walk around and see things and find new places and talk to people. This is the exact opposite from that. All I wanted to do playing this game is just get over with it. Wow. Is there I, anything redeeming at all? Um, the puzzles are, are the, I say the puzzles are generally fine. There's nothing special about them, but, and there are some pretty bad ones, which I'll talk about in a second, but for the most part, they do a pretty good job at making puzzles that are kind of neat, kind of interesting and not too ridiculous with a few notable exceptions. Uh, but other than that, no, there's there's not... I don't really have anything redeeming to say about it. So, again, I want to say 80-90% of the puzzles are really, are really pretty good. But there are a few pretty ridiculous ones. So there's this one guy, and long story short, you have to make him mad so that he walks off, or, or what is it? Okay, so... This is kind of a spoiler for one part of the game, but there's this one guy who has a secret hideout basically that you have to find. And if, and if, and there's a way to go to talk to him 
and get him to walk there. And you can try following him. But eventually he goes into the woods and you lose his trail and you can't follow him anymore. So you have to find a way to be able to keep up his trail. Now, the way you end up doing it is you is he walks with a cane and you have to make him use a cane that you've put termites on. And so as he's walking, the termites are chewing it and leaving behind like little pieces of sawdust, basically. And so you can use that, that you can follow the sawdust trail to find out where he is. But the way you get him to get a new cane in the first place is he lives in this big house and he has all these, uh, uh, what is it? Um, my mind's going, uh, like taxidermied animals. So Sorry about have... that. Fucking spelled water on my keyboard. Oh, Did you shit. notice I uh, disconnected? Uh, no, I didn't notice you disconnected. Uh, I like spilled a bunch of water on my keyboard and it just started closing out all my applications. <laughs> Holy shit. You good? Yeah, I'm good now. <laughs> so there's this guy. And and more or less, so what you have to do is you have to make him uh, somehow use this other cane that you've put these termites on. The way you do this is you go to his house. He has all these uh, animals that, that are, that are you know, uh, like taxidermied animals. Is there, what's the word for that? Animals that have been, I don't think taxidermy is a verb. Think so either. You know what I'm saying, though. Stuffed. <laughs> <laughs> I was gonna say that too, but that I think that describes only toys. Anyway, you get the idea. You have to go up to a uh, like a like a, a platypus, one of these that's by where he's sitting, and spray it with cologne, and that makes him mad, and he gets mad and breaks his walking stick to go get this new one that you've put the termites on. Kind of ridiculous, right? I mean, that's yeah. not just me. Um, no, that's nutty. There are there are a bunch of puzzles. Well, there are a number of puzzles that are that aren't really too hard, but that are very just tedious and time consuming. And then there is the. Uh, it's it's almost it seems like just about every Monkey Island game has this one puzzle that everybody hates on for good reason. It's like no, none of the games really could escape having just one really shitty puzzle. And for this one, it is monkey combat. You have to... There's this part of the game where um, there's this monkey. And he has something that you need to get from him. And he, and the way... And he's, he's a master at monkey combat. Combat with a K, of course. And uh, it's kind of this game's version of sword fighting from the, from the first Monkey Island game. Where you have to beat each other. Where you sword fight. But you don't really... It's not like an action thing. You beat each other by using insults in your sword fight. In Monkey Combat, what you have to do, you have to go around and fight other monkeys in Monkey Combat to become good enough to fight this monkey. And then if you beat him, then he gives you the hat that you want from him. Okay, this is how Monkey Combat works. Tell me if you can even understand what the fuck I'm saying right now, okay? When you're fighting a monkey in Monkey Combat, there are five stances. Drunken monkey, bobbing baboon, anxious ape, charging chimp, and gimpy gibbon. Is it just paper, rock, scissors? Yes. Each of these beats two of the others and loses to two of the others. Okay? And ties with one. And ties with itself. Okay. To transition from one stance to another, each, uh, like combination of stances has its own combination of monkey sounds that you have to make to move from one to the other. 
Okay. The monkey sounds are ak, chi, eek, and oop. Okay? <laughs> so, for instance, to transition from anxious ape to gimpy gibbon, you might have to say, and it's always three of these words that you have to say. You might have to say eek, oop, chi. But then the transition from uh, charging chimp to drunken monkey might be ak, chi, oop. And then the transition from bobbing baboon to anxious ape is eek, chi, ak. Of course. But, but you don't know any of this. You know, all you know is what, and you don't know what beats what either. When you first learn about this, he tells you one thing. He tells you one of the things that beats one of the other things. And he tells you one of the transition combinations to move from one transition to another, from one stance to another. You have to go fight monkeys and frantically write down everything they do and say to be to learn what happens. So, for instance, all I know starting out is, okay, ape is, uh, let's see, all I know is anxious ape beats charging chimp and uh, ak oop chi is the transition from monkey to ape. There's a million more things you have to do. So you just go fighting monkeys and you're frantically writing down, you're watching what the monkey does. You're saying, okay, Okay, shit. What's what stance is he in now? Because I gotta I gotta pay attention to what this is. He's in. Okay, he's in the gimpy gibbon stance right now. And then he says eek oopchi, and you're like, oh shit. All right, let me write down eek oopchi. What did he transition to? Okay, he transitioned to uh, drunken monkey. So oh shit, what was he the first time? And then like you forget what he was the first time. You're, and then maybe you'll remember it. So you're like, oh, okay, let me write down. So gibbon to monkey is eek oopchi. And in the meantime, he's attacked you. But while you're writing down, you haven't gotten to see if his attack beats yours or if your attack beats his. So you don't know if your attack, which is anxious ape, beats his new attack, which is bobbing baboon, or if it goes the other way around. It's absolute insanity. It's Question, the, is this on your top five list? <laughs> that's a good fucking question maybe it should be it's not right now but i may have to give that some thought it is it is literally insane i was just writing down things as fast as i could missing things here and there because you're having to pay attention to six things at once obviously everything doesn't stay on screen as long as you need it to because that would be too convenient it's absolutely ridiculous and you have to keep doing this over and over and over again until you find the combinations for every stance change. So, so for instance, I've got the Akchi Oop or whatever it is combination from changing from chimp to baboon, from uh, ape to chimp, from monkey to ape, from gibbon to monkey, from monkey to baboon, from chimp to monkey, from baboon to chimp, from uh, ape to baboon, from gibbon to ape, from chimp to gibbon, to, from gibbon to baboon, from chimp and from I apparently have chimp to gibbon again. And then I have down, okay, monkey beats ape, ape beats chimp, chimp beats baboon, get, gibbon beats chimp, gibbon beats monkey, ape beats, beats gibbon, monkey beats baboon, chimp beats monkey, ape beats chimp, uh, baboon beats ape. And- I hate you. I hate you so much. <laughs> Fuck that. Fuck monkey combat. That sounds like a really, really well thought out, not lazy. I don't think it's, I don't think it was, I don't think it was lazy. I think really? they, I don't think it was lazy. I think they put a, a good bit of thought. You know, here's here's one redeeming thing I will say about the game. I felt like they tried to make this a good game. I felt like they really put forth a good effort. It does not feel half-assed, even though. So why is it flopped? You think they just spent too much time on the graphics? Because I think that's part of it. 
And what I really think, I think there's, I think it's two things. I think one, they maybe, maybe they did spend a lot of time on the, too much time on the graphics Two, They spent, it feels like they spent too much time coming up with puzzles and not enough time coming up with an interesting story and an interesting game to put those puzzles in. Like I said, the story, the characters and the environments, all of which are typically for the most part, amazing in this series are just very bland in this game. The puzzles are fine but they don't have a good home. That's really what it comes down to. Once again, all I can think of playing this was how far removed this is from the feeling I had when I first played Monkey Island 1. This game is entire, it feels entirely different thematically and artistically. So, but That's not good. here's one more thing. I was looking this up, and this actually got surprisingly good reviews when it came out. Almost every outlet gave it 8 to 9 out of 10. Uh, CNET said it was the best adventure game of 2000. Computer Gaming World nominated it for the best adventure game of 2000, but it didn't win. So, I don't know why. Because, like I said, I've heard and talked to many... Fans of games like this who have all said, yeah, Escape from Monkey Island sucks. I don't know where the disconnect is there, but apparently some of the outlets at the time thought it was a very good game. But I'm here to tell you, it is not. (laughs) No, like, not even just personal preference. This is not a good game. It is uh, really a very unfortunate way for the series to end. So I'm not very surprised because I had heard this and I was more or less ready for the disappointment. I just was happy to be able to finally play it. More or less ready for the disappointment. (laughs) But uh, yeah, it is just, uh, it's it's a shame. I I just almost felt sad playing it. The the reason I didn't feel sad is because I was so bored out of my mind the whole entire time playing it. And I was, for like the last half of the game, I just used a walkthrough for it and still I was incredibly bored because even just going through it without having to you know wait and go through those long periods where you're just figuring something out nothing interesting happens the whole entire time so there's nothing to there's just nothing to enjoy about it really there's my there's my rant there's my rant for the for the evening I'm interesting I'm not surprised based on, you know, kind of like you said, leading into this. Uh-huh. Um, damn. With how fond you are of that series and how much time you've spent on it and talked about it, it's just kind of kind of hurts. <laughs> it does. It kind of it you know hurts me saying? too. Like, it kind of hurts. Yeah. If it was next to you, I'd give you, I'd give you a little hug. I appreciate it. I'll, I'll, I, well, you can give me a... Uh... What a nice cupped hand pat on the bottom. <laughs> okay, that works. How do I feel about that? That's fine. Uh, one of my one of my coworkers is deathly afraid of getting hugged. She just for a reason doesn't like people <laughs> hug her. So really? whenever, whenever we have new people, I always tell them that she loves hugs and like that's how she likes to meet and greet. And this new girl today <laughs> went up to her to hug her, and I have never seen somebody so uncomfortable in my entire life. Holy it, shit! It just it was so funny. I feel like I kind of felt bad, but I was la- I was crying. I was just laughing so hard. Why is she like? Is she? Just uncomfortable, or is she like actually has a fear of hugs? I don't know. She's a unique individual. I, I couldn't tell you. Wow. Like if it truly bothered her to the point where she was like crippled, like it would <laughs> crippled her, or she got like super upset, I wouldn't do it. Obviously. Right. Yeah. It's pretty funny to watch. Um. 
Like, I could understand if it was like a, like, I'm uncomfortable hugging people type thing, but it sounds a little bit more sure. than that. It sounds like it goes, right. a little, sounds like it goes a little farther than that. Right. All right. I've talked enough. Let's hear from you. Can I talk about some more games? Yeah. Sure. Um, so talk about two things here. Well, kind of one and a half or three quarters. I want to put it. So continuing on my adventure with Ocarina of Time. Um, I am pretty far along. Um, still really enjoying the game. I got a little frustrated with a couple of the puzzles. There is there is one scene which I, I, I don't know. I want to read about it some more to make sure I'm not a complete and utter jackass for not <laughs> paying attention. But I could not figure out how to get into the water temple for the longest time. It was just, it was driving me nuts. It, it, essentially, you do all this stuff and, you know, that doesn't really matter. But you, you finally get up to the dungeon entrance and it, it's a big ass fish or a whale. And you're just like, okay, cool. So my first thought, which I'm sure a lot of people have, is Ocarina, right? So you rip out the Ocarina, you start casting stuff or, or playing spells. I'm like, okay, that didn't work. So then I swim around, and I'm like, okay, there's nothing here. There's there's this ledge that I can't get to. There's some other stuff. So I found a couple of Scatolas. Um, found a cave. I'm like, okay, this is not interesting. So then I kind of wandered around the rest of the place again. What the hell am I supposed to do? So I kind of traveled the world, explored, found a bunch of hidden secrets, which was very fun. I got some extra items out of it. Got some more Scatolas, which um, are super exciting to find, honestly. Because Oh, yeah? Yeah, they're, they're, they're just all over the world. And you go to this house where these people are cursed. I kind of talked about this last time. And when you reach a certain point each time, um, the curse is lifted from one of the people in the house, and they, they give you some sort of buff. I got a new one today, which was really funny. And it, I forget what it's called. It's called like the stone pack or something. And what it does is it tells you to put your rumble pack on, and if you're near a secret, it'll start rumbling. Oh, that's cool. <laughs> yeah, I thought that was really clever. I was like, I, I saw the item pop up, and I'm like, what the hell is that? It was like this this stone square looking thing and i'm like okay that's really random i don't remember ever seeing that i'm like that in zelda and then explain what it is i'm like oh that's why it's kind of a one-of-a-kind thing mm-hmm. um so i traveled the world some more and then i finally figured out i was just thinking i'm like okay how else can i get inside this fish or this whale's mouth i'm like i'll just capture a random fish and throw it at him fuck it and so i go okay i'm like exploring i find a fish i'm like great i go back i drop it in front of him of course, the, the the secret sound goes off, and I'm like, "Oh my god, that's all!" <laughs> Is that what it was? <laughs> yeah, I was so pissed. I'm like, "Oh!" And then I get inside the dungeon, and it was very fun. It was actually a really, really well scripted dungeon. Oh, is it? Um, what was that? I thought I thought I I feel like I've could be wrong. I thought I heard a lot of people complain about uh the um which one is it like the uh like the water dungeon? What's it called? Oh, uh, I, I don't. It's Jude. Jujube's mouth or Jubadub's mouth or something. Or ju- it's inside this fish named like Jubadub or Jubadub or something like that. Okay. Um, I don't know if it's actually considered the water dungeon, but it's like the, I, I, I don't know. I haven't, I haven't seen a water dungeon yet. So it's the only one that I've seen so far. Okay. Um, so then I, you know, you clear that um, and then you get the last, the third piece that you need in order to um, use the song of time, which allows you to become an adult. And then you kind of get to the dark world. So really cool thing about this game. And I've kind of alluded to this last time this game gets very dark. So, at a certain point, you you know, Princess Zelda escapes. Um, she leaves the castle, even though she's been kind of guiding you the whole time. And then she leaves her ocarina behind. You take her ocarina, you play a certain song, and you get teleported seven years in the future. Seven years in the future, things are not going well. Ganondorf is pretty much ruling the world, or he's, or he's just a tyrant at this point. And he has control. There's bad guys pretty much everywhere. The whole mood of the game shifts. And a lot of places you've been to that were generally happy places are destroyed and there's just creatures over. And it's just, it's, it's interesting. It takes a very serious turn just all of a sudden. 
And so right now I just got the hook shot and I'm kind of progressing through the game a little bit more right now. And it's still very fun. I haven't explored too much of the, of the, the dark world or the adult world. Um, I went through, through certain areas that I remember I needed certain items for. Uh, when you become an adult, you can't use every item you could use as a child. Like you can't use a slingshot and you can't use a boomerang. Um, you just you lose the ability to use them when you're an adult. And you can shift back whenever you'd like to, to you know, and um, to use items back and forth, which is kind of cool. So you can basically go into the adult world, collect items, and then go back to the, to, to the world as a child and then unlock certain items with those. So it's kind of interesting. You have to pay attention to a lot of different details to see um, where you could kind of progress further every time you acquire, acquire an item. Um, my favorite song so far, and this has always been my favorite song, is the, I think it's called the Song of Storms or Song of Rain. And it's this guy who's playing um, not an accordion. What is it called? Is that a real thing? Eh, kind of. I have is no it, idea. It looks like a. Uh, it's, it's a box with a crank it looks on like it. Like a record player. <laughs> yeah, kind of. Yeah, right. Um, but this guy, and it's so funny because you see the picture of him there, right? And he looks really, really happy, and you know he's kind of cheering or whatever. But when you see him in the future, somebody like messes with him, and he's pissed off, and that's what he looks like. <laughs> And he, he plays more aggressively when he's wow. angry and he plays like really quick and it's just really funny, but I, I yeah. really like the, the, the tune that he plays. It's just a really catchy tune. Um, but yeah, the game is, is still very, very fun. I'm enjoying just kind of exploring and finding random secrets and testing different things. And, and what's really fun is pushing the limitations of the game. Um, Cause there are certain things you can do to extend your, your jump length. So I've been just kind of messing around a little bit to see if I can sort of skip parts and, um, get to ledges I shouldn't be otherwise be able to. And it's it's just been very, very fun. Uh, as an adult, combat is more fun than it was as a child, uh, in particular because you can use the hero shield. Uh, as a child, when you equip the, shield, the hero shield and you try to use it, instead of being able to strafe while blocking, your character just kind of curls up in a ball and you can block that way. But as an oh, adult... Oh, right, right, right. Yeah, I remember you talking about that last time. Yeah, as an adult, you have the master sword and you have the hero shield, so you're able to actually, you know, use both of them. And combat just becomes a little more fun. I haven't fought any fun enemies yet, like the, the lizard men or whatever they are, that actually you kind of do some some, some melee combat with, uh, some skirmishing, if you will. So I'm excited to kind of do that. I always always enjoyed um, doing stuff like that. It's all just kind of one v oneing mobs. But this is, is an it, excellent game. What is it Where that you, makes you uh, um, change from a kid to an adult? It's actually a song. Um, you get uh, Princess Zelda's Ocarina, and then you do the Macarena. No, I'm kidding. Uh, you play a song <laughs> of time. That was a good one. Thanks. Uh, you're, you, early on in the game, well, kind of early on in the game, I guess <laughs> like the first quarter of the game or first half of the game, you're collecting these three jewels, and then once you have them plus the Ocarina, you play the song, and then you advance seven years in the future. But at the same time, as you do that, you actually open up the pathway, more or less, for Ganondorf to also get to something sacred and something that he cannot have. And so you're at the same time, you're kind of getting stronger and you're pushing, you know, you're seven years older, but also Ganondorf, like I said, is kind of a tyrant over the world and seems like he's doing some, some funky dunky shit. Uh, try to think what else I, this, every time I play this game, I love seeing the characters that were brought over into Majora's mask. I didn't know certain characters were, and it's very fun. In particular, I mean, this guy, the guy that I showed you a picture of, he's in he's in Majora's Mask as well. And it's just interesting to see how they brought over certain characters that they really enjoyed. I, I think it's super funny to see, especially since obviously they're, they're both on the same console. Uh, but this is making me want to play Majora's Mask again, so I may just jump into that after I beat this one. I definitely want to beat this game. It's very interesting. I remember pieces of it, but it has been a long time. And I think I'm probably about at the part where I got as a child. 
if I remember correctly, I don't know. It's it's been such a long time. But uh, very fun game. Uh, next game, sort of, kind of. Uh, we've been so a lot of us bought, or excuse me, when StarCraft Brood War finished, or uh, when they did the the re-release uh, for the updated graphics, they released the original one for free. And so a lot of us started playing again, and we've been playing a lot of the use map settings games. And for anybody who grew up on Battle.net, either through Diablo 2, Warcraft 3, uh, Warcraft 2 even, Diablo, um, excuse me, and uh, StarCraft, custom games were amazing. For those oh, who don't yeah. know, De Dota, or Defense of the Ancients, which is the original MOBA, actually spawned in Warcraft. Somebody created this style of game in Warcraft 2 or 3, I believe. It was 3. It was 3, yeah. So I, I don't know if the original one was. But yeah, so which ultimately became MOBAs, which is League of Legends, you know, Dota 2, et cetera, et cetera. So... It's very interesting. As a child, as when, when these games were very big, in particular with StarCraft Brood War, I spent countless hours on Battle.net playing used map settings games. I rarely played Melee. And when I did, I played the fastest maps where you have unlimited mineral patches and there's no strategy. You basically just mine, build up a big-ass army, and run at each other, and it's just it's just stupid. Yeah, yeah. But used map settings, there is a ton of games. And during that time, it was exciting because people would develop new maps. So somebody would come up with like, oh, like a tower defense game, right? It's like, oh, shit, well, tower defense games, yeah, I know what those are. But back then, they were kind of a new concept. And so you got to see them evolve. It was, okay, oh, right. you have this path. Oh, yeah, you, you had this simple pathway, and you build, you build stuff, and then mobs run by. Well, then some guy's like, well, what if I curve the path and make multiple players? And somebody's like, what if I do this thing where I turn off the camera for you? So the, the, you the fog of war uh, reappears but you can still move your units around. Well, suddenly you can start stacking buildings and then you start stacking cannons or missile turrets. Mm -hmm. And so you have these different defense maps and ultimately it just became this amazing genre of games. There's so many different tower defense games. One of my favorite ones is called, um, I think it's gambling defense or, or uh, lottery defense. It's called lottery defense. Very fun game. You essentially, uh, you create, you get a small amount of money at the beginning and you can either buy a cheap lottery ticket, medium, large, et cetera, et cetera. And eat, within each one of those lottery tickets, when you spend money, you have a random chance to get one of the units that's in that pool. You're, you're, so hold you, on. You're, uh, you're talking about this is Warcraft 3 mod, right? No, this is StarCraft 2. Oh, this is, Star this is Yeah, Star sorry, StarCraft Brood War. I'm sorry. Okay, okay, Brood, Brood, okay, I'm sorry. Yeah, okay, go ahead. Anyways, so you essentially can, can uh, purchase a unit and then you get a random unit from this pool or from the medium pool, depending on how much money you spend, and then you use those units to defend. And based on your defense, your strategy kind of changes and you may spend more money on upgrades for particular units, or you may position units differently, or whatever it may be. And that's just one type of game. There's also a ton of different RPGs. There are some really, really well-scripted RPGs. Uh, there's one that we played recently. I, I can't think of the name. It's like I think it's like Spirit something. It doesn't matter. But the, the actual game, the guy did such a, an amazing job. And even today, I was so impressed with it. So the, the game starts, there's like a basic intro. And for those of you who haven't played StarCraft, there's no cutscene in this game. It's literally somebody... Uh, set up all these triggers to go off based on, on, on time. So, you know, if this, the camera focuses on one character, you get some text explaining what's going on, and then the, the story kind of progresses that way. And they add, like, minor sound effects and music. But this game is a um, Final Fantasy style. So you have four people in a party. There's four main characters. And the main guy actually moves the party around. And then when you get in combat, you go to the screen where it's turn-based. And you have a choice. And so there's three different options. You can run, you can fight, or you can defend. And if you run away, there's a chance you'll get away. And the more people that choose to do this, there's a higher chance you'll escape. The block obviously reduces damage you'll take. And then the attack, you go in there and it's like, okay, do you want to do a regular attack? Oh, okay, or, or do you want to use a spell? And there's two pads. So then you go to the right, you can use a spell. And then this, the, another pad appears and there's six of them. And you have a choice between all these, these different choices. 
somebody actually spent the time to code this, uh -huh. right? They actually set up all these triggers. And then on top of that, you, once you pick an ability, then it actually has to work. And then you have to balance it. And it's like, it's mind-numbing. This guy did such an <laughs> incredible job. And it, it, it's, such a, it's such a unique take on turn-based because essentially uh, there were limitations on trigger effects during this time. You couldn't do something like minus 20 damage. That just wasn't a thing. It was set health 2%. And so oh, what this right. guy did to, to get around this is when you use a basic attack, the uh, enemy spawns in an enclosed area with you and your character spawns, they have health and you don't. So you just get to sit there and hit them over and over and over. And so that counts as your attack and it lasts for like 10 seconds. And it's like, oh my gosh, this was such an interesting concept. This is, this is just one game that somebody coded and it's very well done. We actually played for two and a half hours of this game, me and three other of my friends recently, just in the last, last couple weeks. This is just one game. And so <laughs> we've been kind of jumping from genre to genre. We played uh, a couple, uh, we could play a couple defense maps. We played the, uh, this mini town defense game, which is um, for anybody who played Dragon Ball Z on StarCraft, very big genre, oddly enough. And essentially what it is, is you go through the sagas playing as a character. So you pick, you know, Goku or Vegeta, whoever your favorite character is, and you train until the saga starts. And then, you know, whoever comes out, let's say it's Cell and he's just destroying a city. You can wait a little bit. You train, train, train. You can go to Super Saiyan, whatever you want. And then you eventually fight him. And then if you clear the saga, right, you continue on to the next saga, so forth. Mm -hmm. These are all games that people literally spent tens of hours coding in StarCraft 1 Brutor, which... It's just it's it's crazy to me because it's such a hobby thing, right? You're not going to get money off this. You're not going to get famous. You're not going to you know. There's no point other than you're a hobby enthusiast who wants to do stuff that's fun, that sounds interesting to you and to the community as well. And the other thing that became really big off this was uh, people like me, where I didn't originally make these games. I wasn't the innovator, but I was able to take them, open them up in the StarCraft editor, and change things. I could tweak things. I could balance the game a little bit more, add more effects to it, maybe make up more levels, make it more difficult, et cetera, et cetera. And it's just, I forgot about this. This is something that, that I grew up with. I spent three or four years in Battle.net playing StarCraft Brood War, meeting people, doing all this different stuff. And it's so crazy to me how big of a thing this was and how much it doesn't exist today. It, it doesn't. Right. Like that, that idea just does not exist today. And it's, it's Dude, just I thought, crazy. But don't people me. make a lot of mods, a lot of pretty in-depth mods on StarCraft 2? Yeah, but they're not. It's weird. They're not good a lot of them are not good they're not fun it's really? missing something i don't know what it is yeah i've tried playing ums or use map setting games um in starcraft 2 a lot and first of all blizzard does some dumbass shit where they charge you there's ones where you can pay to play them i'm like all right guys are you kidding me like it's i already paid 50 60 dollars for your game and you're gonna charge me for a mini game inside of the game like oof, it's it's so filthy and the other thing is well i mean i can understand because i mean I when they do, like, it's essentially they, they're given the creators of the mods the ability to charge you, right? I don't know about that. I thought the ones, I'm pretty sure the ones that are pay for are ones that Blizzard created. Oh, like you may have, right. okay, you, might, you yeah. might be right. Yeah, maybe. Like, there was that one that became a minor esport for five minutes, the the soccer one. Do you remember that? The Zealot Soccer? Uh, Huck play. Uh, it sounds vaguely familiar. I don't know. Yeah, you don't want to. You don't want to think about this. You don't want to think about the past. I understand. <laughs> yeah. Um. Yeah. So StarCraft Two just use map settings just don't have the same taste. I cannot tell you what it is. I don't think it's nostalgia. I, I could be wrong. It may be the nostalgia of Brood War, but I don't think so. I just think the StarCraft Two ones are just missing something. They're kind of fun, but I don't know. It's it's hard to say. Uh. But we. 
I will tell you, so if anybody has uh, has downloaded it and wants to play use map settings games sometime, definitely let me know. We spend a decent amount of time doing it, just kind of running through different maps. There's a lot of websites where you can go to and you can download like 600 megs, which is 600 megs of maps, which is like every map ever made, probably like tens of thousands. And so you can just kind of try them all. And so that's what we've been doing. We just download map packs and try different RPGs and do fun things. And and, and one thing I will say, uh, StarCraft Brood War, you remember this, I'm sure. Uh, there is a massive latency on your movement commands. Even though I'm on the US West uh, Battle.net server, which I think my ping's like 80 or something, uh, your units are very slow in response and the pathing in these games is so bad you, you'll tell your hmm. character to move left and like directly left and he'll go up in like a u-shape oh yeah i knew the path i didn't i don't know if i necessarily no remember the response time being bad but i do know the pathing is like notorious oh it's so bad and it, it's really frustrating especially playing rpgs where you have one character right and if that character dies that it's over right and you're low in health and you're trying to escape or whatever it may be, and you just die because your character paths the dumb way, the dumbest way humanly possible. And you're just like, oh my gosh, like, I just, I don't even know. Um, <laughs> yeah, these games are no, by no means perfect. I don't mean to sound like these are the best things ever designed, but it is very fun. There's some really, really cool stuff that people have done throughout the years. And it's, it, it's, it is nice to just kind of look at how much you know, time and uh, how much time and sweat, I guess, people put into some of these games and how well, how well done they were. Um, yeah. I don't anything else about it. I think that's generally it. That's pretty awesome. Look, I'm looking forward to Warcraft 4. I will tell you that right now. I'm, I'm really excited to, if they announce it. Uh, BlizzCon's in, what, three three months and some change? Um, no so idea. the WoW expansion comes out in two weeks and some change. Uh, so once that comes out, we'll have a couple months of the expansion, and then we'll have BlizzCon. And I think BlizzCon will be interesting this year. I want to see... I think they're going to announce something Diablo 2 related, possibly like a remaster like they did for StarCraft, and then I'm expecting potentially Warcraft 4. You think they're going to remaster the, uh, what? Diablo 2. Oh, interesting. Okay. I think so. I, I don't know. I'm just kind of speculating based on some things I've been reading and, and what people are, are expecting. And then on top of that, Blizzard's been kind of, this next expansion is going to tie up a lot of the lore. It's going to bring it all back together into a nice little bundle. And so a lot of people are thinking that's setting it up perfectly for Warcraft 4, which would be, I, you know, if you want to hear me scream like a little girl again, that's that's where we're going with that. Yeah. Um, yeah. So that's about the games I've been playing right now. I sh- I don't want to say this. I, I want to finish Ocarina of Time as soon as possible. I will hopefully finish before the next episode. Um, if not, I'll, I'll play something on the side that I can talk about as well. But I definitely want to finish this game. It's it's one of those you know we did the Mario one two three uh, type things. I just you really I really want to close out this one because it's the last one for sixty four that I have not one hundred percent by myself through. Yeah. Yeah, it's been so long since I played it. I basically remember almost nothing about it, just except for like I remember certain parts vague of it. things. Yeah. yeah, I mean, I remember a few certain things, but basically anything you tell me is news. <laughs> I haven't heard it. It's news to me. <laughs> All right, awesome. Hey, real quick, the the the, the mod, so the mods that you played were those recently created mods or were they no, no these are these 20 old years old <laughs> yeah i probably should have mentioned that good catch yeah, yeah these are these are not recently coded games these are not games that people took and fixed up these are 18 19 sometimes all years old games some are a little bit newer 2005 2006 but some of these mods are insanely old or they're they're clones of games that people made way back in the day it's just it's so crazy to me awesome yeah all right. Did you play much? Did you play much Brood War? Like, yeah, um, I did. Uh, a little, not not too long after it came out, but not 
right when it came out either. I played it in when I went to college was really when I discovered it. And that was uh, my first year in college. That was 2001. It came out what 99, right? 99, 98, I believe. Yeah. So uh, I was a little bit late on it. But like once I found out about it, I was like, holy shit. And I couldn't get enough. You know, I was terrible at it, of course. But I absolutely loved it. And I play. I didn't play um, any any custom stuff on, on Brood War. I did ah. when Warcraft 3 came out. I put so many hours into that I'm I, I would be frightened to know how many but uh and I played a bunch of custom maps on um on that game too or uh, not too but on that one I did play a bunch of custom games but, but or custom mods but not on brood war gotcha you want to talk about our top fives I don't know do you no we're skipping this time it's making me stressful to think about it. time for emails Top stre- uh, t- top five most stressful. <laughs> a couple people games. were paying attention, like, wait, what? <laughs> most stressful games. I'm still unconcerned about my fifth place one, or not? I have seven I'm sure. right now. I'll, I'm right there with you. I have you. seven I have too. Seven. <laughs> oh my gosh! Hopefully, we don't have too many overlaps. Um. Okay, let's. I'm just gonna go with what I've got. I'll go first. Okay. My number five is actually, coincidentally, StarCraft Brood War. Oh, really? Yeah. Even though I really love this game and always did, it was, this one was stressful for me, particularly playing online, because I always felt like, oh shit, what's going, what's the other guy doing that I don't know about right now? And you know, I kind of had that in um, StarCraft 2 as well, but not even... Not really as bad as for some reason I did in StarCraft Brood War. In StarCraft 2, I felt a little bit more confident, even though I wasn't great at the game. I never was too scared about what the... I was never too apprehensive about what was the other person doing. But for some reason, playing online in StarCraft Brood War, I was always like, oh shit, I bet he's... You know, who, who knows what the hell this guy's oh, doing? Yeah. He's probably... He's got 10 carriers. <laughs> he's got 10 carriers. <laughs> yeah. We just started the game. Uh, so I'm going to go with that one for my number five. Good one. And a lot of I, I play a lot of StarCraft two right now, which I'm gonna talk about. It, it's interesting. A lot of my friends tell me the same thing. Cause I'll do two v twos with them or three v threes or I'll one v one them, and they're like, "Yeah, I'm just always paranoid that you're gonna go you know, like mass Dark Templar or, or do some sort of Archon drop." And it's so funny because I'm very keen about vision. Like my vision is on point. Right, so like, you gotta scout. At any given you gotta point, do scouting. So. Oh yeah, right. Yeah, sacrifice a probe if you have to, or you know, send it, get some observers, or use hallucinated phoenix, whatever you need to. And yeah. it's like, you know, there's a bunch of different ways you can scout for vision. And uh, one of the things that, that I really applaud Blizzard for is, is recently they added a very easy way to watch replays. The second your game is over, uh, you can watch a replay of the game, and it really alleviates a lot of stress and fear in my mind because I'm like, okay, I knew at this point that if I would have pressured, I would have lost because he had ten marauders. They watch a replay, and the dude had one marauder and a bunker, and you're like. I could easily just punish this guy. <laughs> it's, it's, it's actually really nice to do that because, you know, you kind of build confidence. You're like, wait, wait, I've point. lost two games to the same thing. I need to understand. You can go back and watch a replay and see like, okay, at you know, three minutes and 15 seconds, he's very vulnerable. Or, you know, if you scout for this and see this, it means X. And yeah, it's just, I completely understand that, that stress and fear. I think it's definitely gotten better in StarCraft 2, but it is still there. Yeah. All right. My number five is... Ninja Turtles 1 for the regular Nintendo. In particular. <laughs> in in particular, particular. The water level. The water of level. Of fucking course the water level. <laughs> yep. All right. 
let's paint this picture for you guys. So Ninja Turtles 1 was a brutal game. You had um, all four turtles, obviously. You could alternate between any of them at any given time. Um, they had their own respective health bar, and when that health bar died, went to zero, they died, and you could no longer play as them. There were some bullshit mechanics where you could instantly lose a turtle. In particular, the water level had one, which was this electric seaweed, I believe. It was like on the tops and bottoms of every level. And if you got too close, it would pull you in and instantly kill you. Now, you might say, <laughs> yep. okay, well, that's not that bad. Just take your time and go slow. You're right. Yeah, you, you take your time, you go slow. Uh -huh. And the objective of the water level is you have to disarm, <laughs> what is it, like five or six bombs, right? Yeah, I think it's five. And, I don't remember. Yeah. And, and, but here's the thing. Here's the fun part. You only have a certain amount of time. So you can't go slow. And so you are trying to go fast, but safe, and then you goof, and you lose the turtle, and then it gets really stressful, and then finally, after losing two turtles, you get to the point where you got your fourth bomb, you still got 55 seconds left, no big deal, right? Take your time. Oh, seaweed. Now you're down <laughs> to your last turtle, and you're like, holy shit, what am I doing with my life? So then you're trying to get the, the last bomb, and you rush, and oh, you died. And guess what? You're starting over. Oh, and by the way, this is not the first level. <laughs> <laughs> this game was so stressful i remember getting to this and be like okay i have all four turtles i can easily get through this i just gotta take my i died to see what fuck all right <laughs> next time seaweed. i'm gonna go a little bit slower sounds so ridiculous <laughs> oh it was so frustrating that drove me nuts about this game uh yeah that was i think i may have beaten that level once and then pretty much probably died. I think I just died almost immediately. Yeah, the game after. actually gets wicked hard from there. That's the funny part. Yeah, it's kind of like Battletoads where you get past what you think is the hard part and then it doesn't get any better. Makes sense, yeah. But uh, yeah, that was, like I said, I, I think I may have beaten it once, but I may not have even ever beaten it. I just remember that being basically the wall and that was that was pretty much it. When you got there, it's like, well, you got as far as you're going to get. You might as well just stop playing now. <laughs> holy shit alright my number four is any Sierra point and click game because stressful. yeah and stressful in the sense that you might you never know two things one oh. <laughs> two things one you might get stuck forever just wandering yeah. around trying to find something to do, not knowing that there's no way for you to advance or you're constantly worried that you did, that you missed something or did something wrong or didn't do something right that you had to have done in order to advance. And now there's no way to undo that. There's no way to undo having missed that. Um, so not stressful in the typical sense, but stressful because you're, you all like, you're constantly worried that something's wrong and your game is screwed up. And also for me, it's kind of uh, not necessarily stressful, but very, very draining. Hmm. If I'm playing a game where I spend a lot of time not making any progress, particularly if it's um, in some point and click games, it's not a problem if I spend a lot of time not making any progress because my brain is still working. I'm still trying to think things through. I'm like, you know, if I have to do this, then what do I have to do? You're trying to kind of like work backwards to try to figure <laughs> out uh, solutions to puzzles. But in Sierra point and clicks, it's usually something totally fucking random to where you just have to mindlessly go, go around and click on things, grab random stuff out of your inventory, try to use it with other stuff and just see if something works. So yeah, maybe not the best in retrospect, but I'm going to go with that for my number four. Cool. I can see it. I mean, especially the whole 
dead end, you're fucked type thing as well. Yeah. You're always paranoid that you're going to get in one of those situations. And that would definitely stress me out, especially for somebody who hasn't played them before. Yeah. All right. Number four, uh, Tetris. So we obviously played Tetris for the podcast about a year ago, but I can't right. tell you, man, when, when the music starts getting fast and you start getting to the later <laughs> levels, that game gets stressful. And, and sometimes you want it to end. You just want to lose because you're just tired of the music being so fast and having to react so quickly. And you just want to make a mistake and just end it. And it, it, it there are times when I've played Tetris where I get to that point and I just like, I'm like, I'm done. I can't play this game anymore. I'm done. And then I'll go on to Reddit and sort of Facebook for a few minutes. I'm like, all right, one more round. Just one more round. Just give me a second. And then I get into it again and I get to the higher levels and it gets really fast and then I lose and I'm like, okay, I'm done. That's it. I'm going to go. I'm done. I'm done playing now. Yep. <laughs> just, oh my gosh. We have a love-hate relationship and that that heart racing music that starts building up momentum just really gets to me. That reminds so one that I that was kind of in my sixth place that didn't make it onto my list, but I I was it almost did is Dr. Mario. And Ooh. kind of for the same reason, you know, it's very, obviously very similar to Tetris and I don't really get stressed out playing Tetris. Part of it's probably just cause I don't really care for the game that much, but with Dr. Mario, man, it's like you start, it starts raising up and then you got to like, make sure you turn the pills just exactly the right way. And sometimes you get confused. You're not sure if like, if I hit this button, is the red part going to be on the right side or is it going to be on the left side? And then like trying to stack everything up just right for some reason, I really do get that in Dr. Mario, but, but not really, just really not at all in Tetris. All right. My number three is going to be sewer shark for Sega CD. (laughs) This one is like stressful in the sense that you have to, it's stressful for two reasons. One, you have to memorize the directions that it tells you to go. So you're racing through these sewers and this robot at the beginning, at the beginning of every section, he says, uh, you're going to have to turn at a uh, three, nine or 12. And so that means that you have to take the first right that you see. And then the next left after that, that you see, and then the next up after that, that you get to. And so you have to memorize that and keep it, remember that and think about it and keep it in mind all while you're shooting these monsters while you're flying through the sewers. But also you have to make sure that you don't miss any mo- or you can miss some monsters, but not very many, especially later in the game. If you miss too many, then you just lose and you can't advance. So it's, and a lot of them are really hard because it's kind of hard to tell exactly where to line up your reticle, reticle. And, uh, especially when you're turning, there are some like rats, like sewer rats that are, that you have to shoot while you're making turns. So it's, it, it's very hard to aim the, the thing on the screen while you're turning and trying to shoot those. It just like too much stuff going on at once and having to memorize shit and work with kind of wonky controls. It's just, uh, it's, it's, it's all a little bit too much. Oof. And then if somebody walks in the room and says, what are you playing? <laughs> two seconds. Hey, fuck you. Yeah, I know that all too well. Yeah. There are times when Lisa comes home or she'll come talk to me when I'm playing Starcraft and I'm like, I can't give you any attention. <laughs> yeah, I know exactly. No I know exactly. I'll miss one probe, or I'll get supply capped, or I'll forget to upgrade something, <laughs> and I'll just rage. Yeah. All right, number three, right? Yeah. Yes. All right. So I wanted to break up my water levels a little bit. So this is okay. <laughs> I know where this is going. I know where this is going. Sonic the Hedgehog. Oh my God, the water levels. So Sonic the Hedgehog, generally speaking, is not a very stressful game. Uh, you can kind of backtrack repeatedly without any concern. But when you get to the water levels is where it gets fun. 
So the water levels, um, <laughs> essentially, it's certain parts you will submerge completely underwater, or the water will fill up the area and you can no longer breathe. So Sonic will breathe uh, continuously for, what, 10, 15 seconds before there's any real concern. And then the music starts. And it starts off slow and then kind of builds a momentum, similar to what we were talking about with Tetris. And it's just a very scary tone. It's I, I didn't want to try to do it because it, it, it just, just YouTube it if you haven't heard it before. But it starts off very slow. Yeah, if you want to go ahead and give it a shot. And it just keeps getting faster and faster and faster and faster. And then ultimately you die and Sonic flies to the front of the screen and falls down right in front of you. And you're like, holy shit, what am I doing with my life? What? Yep. Whoop. Yeah. Yeah. And so that to me, I would literally sprint through the water, the parts where you were submerged <laughs> underwater. Not because I was concerned about not making it through all the way, because I didn't want to hear that fucking music. That music. Oh, it really is. It's the music. It's me. not even knowing that you're going to die as much. It's the music. Oh, yeah. I can mute it and be, have no problem. Yeah, yeah, yeah. The music just... <laughs> ugh, it just gets too good. Yeah, that's... The only reason this one isn't on my list, and same for Ninja Turtles, is just because... Well, I guess Ninja Turtles maybe could have been, but like the whole rest of the game isn't isn't so bad. But yeah. this immediately, the first two things I thought of for this list were Ninja Turtles and Sonic. That's funny. Oh, man. All right. My number two is Night Trap, another Sega CD game. This is probably <laughs> the only time ever that I have two Sega CD games on a top five list. <laughs> um, Night Trap is stressful because, mostly because the game is designed poorly, and what you have to do is you have to be looking at a million different places at once. So, you know, the, the premise of the game is there's these guys sneaking through this house, like capturing the people who are in the house and you're trying to set off traps and stuff to catch the bad guys before the bad guys can catch the good guys. And there are, I want to say there's either six or eight different rooms in the house that you can watch that you have cameras at that you can flip to, but you can only watch one at a time. And so it's very stressful to be watching one to see if something's going to happen and knowing that in any of the, you know, five or seven or however many other rooms there are, something else could be going at the same time. So half the time you're frantically flipping through all of the rooms as fast as you can to see if you catch anything. And then sometimes you might see something in one or something like, or maybe there's just a scene playing out in one room and you want to watch it to see what's happening. But typically that means you're going to be missing something else. So there's so much stuff going on at once and you can only watch one thing at a time. Uh, so you're always worried like, oh shit, what is going what, what's going on in another room that I'm missing right now? And again, it's really not good game design because it's all based on luck, whether you're whether you happen to be looking at the right room at the right time. Um, and even even if you're not catching bad guys, like there might be you also have to find out when, the, uh, the people who live in the house, when they say that they're going to change the alarm code for or the, like the security code, because you have to you have to have it on the right color, which is the right code in order to be able to set off the traps. So you also have to be watching them to say, oh, we're going to change it from green to orange to so know that you need to change yours from green to orange or else it'll stop working altogether. It's just a uh, poorly designed game, but very stressful one to play because of that. Yeah. Yeah. No, thank you on that front. Yeah. What do we go to? Two? Yep. Number two. Probably a game you've never played before. I think we've talked about this before. Uh, PS1's Intelligent Cube. You ever play this game? Intelligent Cube? Yeah, I think it's a no. picture. Intelligent? It's called Intelligent. Oh, it, it's Cube I... with a Q. 
yes, it is. Yeah. IQ, also known as Intelligent Cube. I've never heard of uh, this. This is a puzzle game. And so essentially, uh, during the game, you are... Um, you're this guy, right? And you're standing on this, these floating blocks. They're, I think they're like four or five blocks wide. And then they go as far as the eye can see. And the idea is there are certain spots or certain cubes in front of you that you can activate sort of as landmines and they destroy other cubes. At the same time, there is this wall rolling towards you. And if you aren't fast enough, if you aren't eliminating the cubes fast enough, then they roll over. Oh you man, that sounds terrible. <laughs> yeah, and you, if you fall off the side, um, the the wall will just move very very quickly, and you just lose. And what's crazy is so you have to time these these mines, if you will. So you basically press them, and then you press them again to detonate them, and it takes a couple seconds after that. So you have to time it because if you're too slow, then the blocks will pass. If you're too fast, then blocks aren't there yet, right? And oh. so as you get further and further in this game, the blocks start moving faster and faster, and you no. have more and more mines at once. It gets crazy. And the funny part is there's this godlike voice that's in the game. And when you clear a wave, he all he said, he doesn't say like, good job. He goes, again. And then another wall comes in. And you're just like, holy fuck, what am I doing? And it's just, it gets, oh my god, it gets so crazy. I've gotten pretty far into this game a few times. And it's actually a really fun game. It's very good. It's, it's good in the same way of Tetris where you just like, I can't deal with this. I'm done with this. Okay, let me play one more round. Let me just jump in there real quick. Let's get one more hand. And then you're like, I'm done. <laughs> yeah, I'm selling my PlayStation. Like I'm getting my camera. <laughs> let me try one more round. And so it, it is a very fun game. I would definitely suggest I mean, it's 4.8 out of 5 stars. Like, even today. So it, it's, it's a good. very fun game. Yeah, yeah. It's just very scary and kind of stressful. Yeah, I've, I've, I've never heard about this. This sounds pretty interesting. I think I played this. I think I talked about this in the podcast. Before. I could be wrong. No, I don't think right. you have. Yeah. I'm maybe, crazy. So. Maybe. <laughs> All right, my number one is actually a game that I really, really love. It is TIE Fighter. Mm. There are some levels on this game that are just so hard because there might be a million things shooting at you or you might have to be um, diverting your power exactly right to be able to catch up with a ship that can't get away. Uh, It just, some of the levels on this game just become really, really stressful. Some of the missions do. Um, there's, when I was playing it for the podcast a couple years ago, I got, I got hard stuck on this one level where there's a million of these mines and, and mines are, it's like a space field of mines. And what mines are in this game is they're these little things that just shoot lasers in basically any direction, as long as you get near them and you have to clear out this minefield and do all this other stuff. And there's a million mines all over the place and you have to approach it just right. And it, it, it's so hard when there's a million things shooting at you, your shields are going down, your your targeting system might get knocked out, or maybe your power gets knocked out or something. And, uh, you know, because it's, it's such a detailed game that any individual system might get knocked out. It might just be your shields, or it might be your engine, or it might be something visual on your screen, like your display, so you can't see what how your power is or how your shields are or something like that. But just... Knowing, like, seeing the shields go down so quickly or seeing this stuff, like, blow up in your cockpit and all that, uh, very, very stressful. Especially when you try playing the same mission, like, ten times in a row and you're basically not getting any better at it. This one really does get stressful, even though it's really a fantastic game. And if you can get past these 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 few levels that are like that, it's it's really amazing. Good choice. Thank you. Um, my number one is a GameCube game called Pikmin. Pikmin is a very positive, enthusiastic, exciting game. And 
No, fuck this game. This game's super stressful, especially the first one. This game, I can tell you, the first time I played this game, I was so upset. So Pikmin, for, for anybody who hasn't seen this game after, I guess, 15, almost 20 years it's been out, um, essentially you're playing as a little space commander named Olimar who's crashed on a planet with these little creatures called Pikmin. And the Pikmin have a variety of colors from yellow, blue, red, uh, which all they, they have different effects because of this. And so what you do during, you only have uh, 30 days and you're trying to collect all your parts to get off the planet. After 30 days, you lose the game. So already there's a clock on you. It's not a hard clock to meet, right? 30 days give you plenty of time. Um, to be, I think the last time I beat it, I did it in like 22 days. So mm-hmm. not, a, not a super tough clock. But here is the stressful part. So when you're walking around, you can have up to 100 Pikmin out at once. And so all these Pikmin are falling behind you, so you have to be very careful. You use the C-stick on the controller in order to direct them using a horn. And you can direct them to be to your left, right, in front of you, behind you, etc. Pikmin can't swim, except for the blue ones. So if you happen to be crossing a bridge and you don't control your Pikmin, properly all the pikmin fall off your bridge or off land into the water and they make this horrifying drowning noise i know you're gonna say jay i've already heard you talk about two water <laughs> levels i'm sorry this is just <laughs> why is it always water levels thing. i don't know but this is a horrifying thing and so the pikmin literally drown and they go and you're like oh my god there's a hundred pikmin in the water and you can try to get some of them out not all of them are going to make it and so then when they finally die and they all die at once so the noise of them dying is amplified by how many there are they just make this and then their soul flies out of their body and you're like oh my god this is supposed to be a kid's game now you might say that's pretty bad. No, it gets worse. So there are these bad guys. I forget what they're, they're they're called, but they eat Pikmin. So if you're walking by, they only have two legs. They're two legs with this bulbous ass body on them, and then they have these giant mouths. And so what they do is they'll dive down like a shovel and try to scoop up your Pikmin, and they will get them. And so what they'll do is they will literally chew on them. Sometimes they'll they'll thrust their head backwards in order to kind of throw them back into their mouth, and then they crunch and kill them all. And again, you get to hear the dying noise along with the souls flying out. Right now, you're saying, "Holy shit, Jay! What what game are we talking about? This is Pikmin." Here's the third part. At the end of every day, any Pikmin that are left on the planet die. <laughs> so if you are exploring a planet and you have to leave Pikmin behind because, for instance, there's certain parts where you need to use only water, the blue ones, to cross a water pathway. So you leave your red and yellow ones behind. And then all of a sudden you don't realize what time it is. You get the countdown <laughs> clock, which is 10 seconds long. Oh, so you have to collect all your Pikmin, get them back safely. Now, mind you, you may be in a situation where you have to cross multiple bridges or go through a, a certain pathway or throw all of your Pikmin over a fucking wall. So you're one, two, three, four. You're throwing your hundred Pikmin one by one over this wall in order to get them home. And if you fail, again, they die. And they do this great little cinematic at the end of every day that shows your Pikmin literally looking at you, flying away on your spaceship <laughs> as these monsters <laughs> dive bomb you and eat the fucking Pikmin. This game it's is a game up, of nightmares. So you are a manager, a micromanager, you're a middle manager, right? And if you fail, your employees die. <laughs> Bottom line. And it gets horrifying this is such a sad game there are other effects like fire if pikmin catch fire minus the red ones they will run in circles till they burn to death and then again they make the dying sound and yep you know what's next the soul (laughs) (laughs) this game is horrible like it's so sad and you just like so the last time i played through it i lost as few pikmin as i possibly could and I think I ended with like an 80 or 90 death toll, which is not high. Towards the end, you have hundreds upon hundreds, sometimes thousands of Pikmin. 
Oh man, this game is just it's too much. It's a very fun game, but I would play with the sound off similar to the Sonic thing. Oh man, I I don't think I have to hear it now. I can't play it with sound off anymore. Oh man, don't you dare. That's on my New Year's gaming resolutions to play Pikmin this year. It's a good one. These were good lists. Pretty good. Yours was good. Mine was all right. I'll give you this one. I think you win this time. Um, I'm a little stressed out right now. (laughs) Oh, okay. Real quick. Next top five is the worst game that you actually purchased. I don't know if this is going to be particularly interesting or not, but it's worth a shot, I think. So we're going to run with it. Write us in. Mail at Classic Gaming Podcast about the worst game that you, the five worst games that you ever bought. And we'll, we'll we'll have a little chat. Yeah, well, fireside chat, if you will. <laughs> Let's go to emails. All right, so uh, we should head off this email section by once again reiterating that we will be deciding in this episode what our next game of the quarter is going to be. And what do we decide? What do we figure out? That's that's going to be in July, August, the end of September. It's not even really all that far away, really. How do we? How did we get this far without? I don't know. (laughs) I'm trying to figure out how we got this far without already figuring out what our game of the quarter is going to be. Regardless. At the end of September is when we will be discussing the game of the quarter. Uh, if you're new listening to the podcast and you weren't here for the last game of the quarter, this is a game that we will all play and talk about. So Jay and I will both play it as well as hopefully uh, a bunch of our listeners. We had a pretty, I, I say this was pretty successful the last time around with 40 winks. The, the game wasn't that good, but we had a lot of participation in it. So that was fun. I think it's fun to, uh, I think it's good that a lot of the time that, Ninety-nine percent of the time, we don't play the, the same game, but it's also fun every once in a while to uh, to to get both of our thoughts on the same game. And it's also I also like having our having the listeners get to sort of take part in it as well. How dare so, they? Huh? I said how dare they? <laughs> so uh, so our next game of the quarter will be decided this episode. What we're doing is on the last one, I randomly chose five games from my GOG library with a random number generator. And we had uh, listeners vote on those. They can vote from uh, via email or Twitter. And right now, as we read these emails, we will be tallying the votes. So this will be decided very shortly. Uh, real drum quick, roll, I'm going to... Huh? It's a drum roll, please. I'm going to go to... It's not going to be a long-ass drum roll because it's going to last the whole email right. section. But uh, first, real quick, I'm going to go to Twitter. And tally up the votes that we got on there purely. And I'm going to write who sent them to because some people might have mentioned it in their emails as well. I don't want to count them twice. So uh, real quick from Gitalele81 on Twitter, we have Quest for Glory. One vote for Quest for Glory. Okay. From... Simon on Twitter, uh, Melee underscore Monkey. We have another vote for Quest for Glory. SNES Drunk tweeted at us and voted for Alone in the Dark 2. 
By the way, the options were Eye of the Beholder, Alone in the Dark 2, Police Quest 4 Open Season, Star Wars Jedi Knight, Dark Forces 2, and Quest for Glory. Obviously, these are all PC games because we were purely going from my GOG library on this one. Then we have from J. Bennett 13. He voted for Star Wars Jedi Knight 2 or Star Wars Jedi Knight Dark Forces 2. And then we have a couple people that liked other people's votes on Twitter. I don't know. I'm not going to count those. I don't know if those are supposed to be them voting or not. I'm not going to count those as votes if they didn't explicitly vote for them. So I don't know if that was supposed to be a message to me that they wanted to vote for that or not, but I'm not going to count that just because I don't know. And then Jonathan, our resident archivist, he voted for Quest for Glory as well. So before we get to the emails, just from Twitter, we have three votes for Quest for Glory, one vote for Alone in the Dark 2, and one vote for Star Wars Jedi Knight. And uh, if there's a tie, then I'm going to be the tiebreaker. So let's move on to emails. Jay, uh, in the interest of saving my voice, do you mind reading most of these? I mean, I always do. Yeah. All right. First one is from Charles. All right. Charles says, uh, what was the uh, title of the email, by the way? Um, Most Stressful Games. Interesting. Uh, Charles says, hey, dudes, uh, this is a difficult top five because so many games from the regular Nintendo era had brutal difficulty levels, uh, relied so heavily on just memorizing what was about to happen and getting the timing just right, uh, which is all super stressful, of course. I found that my list of mirrors, in part, the hardest games I've played. Uh, here we go. Uh, number five, Contra for the regular Nintendo. I played a lot of Contra when I was a kid, and I don't remember ever getting past the third level. In college, one of my roommates memorized the game and got to where he could beat it without dying. Jesus. Uh, he was obviously Man. insane, yep, and had way too much time on his hands, yep. Um <laughs> Even if you put in the Konami, Konami code and get 30 lives, it's still a stressful game because the margin for error is so low. It reminds me to agree, excuse me, to a degree of later bullet hell games because you spend so much time dodging bad guys and bullets. Number four, Ninja Gaiden for regular Nintendo. I don't think I've ever made it past the second stage of this game and only rarely made it past the first level. Um, and I wanted so badly to play it. You play as a ninja, which is awesome. It had cutscenes, which are rare on the regular Nintendo, and it was the closest thing, excuse me, it was the closest thing those of us with an, a regular Nintendo rather than a Sega Master System would get to Shinobi, which seemed so awesome at the time in the commercials and ads, but Ninja Gaiden was so freaking hard that it was a constant grind. Uh, teeth grinding, white knuckle, white knuckle difficulty. I don't know why I tortured myself with this. Number three, Battletoads. We talked about this a little bit. Uh, for regular Nintendo. This should probably be my number one, and we all know why I've listed it here. That, <laughs> yep. damn, racing st- that damn racing stage where you have to dodge the stuff in the cave or whatever. It was impossible. I loved the first one or two stages of, the, of this beat-em-up game, but I never had the patience to get past the tunnel racing stage. I think that describes 99% it- of people who have played this game. Yeah, without question. Um, and that's why it's so frustrating, because it was it was an awesome game until all of a sudden it became so hard you can't progress. I even remember having an issue of Nintendo Power that mapped out the tunnel. It was still impossible. If I had known this sort of <laughs> if I had known this sort of language as a child, I would have yelled "fuck this game" and thrown the controller across the room. I think a lot of us are right there with you. 
Yep. Um, number two, Street Fighter Alpha for PSX. Uh, you could put any fighting game here, in my opinion. Short bursts of action in which you can't let your guard, can't let your guard up. Precise timing for both offensive and defensive. I actually was thinking about this. I was trying to throw in a fighting game to mine, but um, I wasn't sure. Uh, Street Fighter games demanded the most precise timing in the genre and were the least forgiving for those of us who just wanted to spam kick our our way to victory. That was me. Uh, this is the first I remember playing that introduced mechanics both, uh, excuse me, mechanics beyond the basic and special moves. If I recall correctly, there were counters and super moves, which just adds another layer of stuff to worry about on top of the already stressful Street Fighter timing slash precision formula. Yeah, in right. some later. Um, in some later fighting games, especially the NetherRealm games on current and last-gen consoles like Mortal Kombat X and the Injustice series, there are some relatively relaxing gameplay modes like the Tower Challenge in Mortal Kombat, but not in these, these classic fighting games, where it was all super stressful from the first fight to the final KO. That's a good one. I like that one. And number one, Gran Turismo 2 for the PSX. You could really put any racing game in this spot, but I spent a lot of time in college playing Gran Turismo 2. I got every li- every license opening up every race series in the game. I had a huge garage with dozens of cars. I even did a few of the endurance races, spending hours driving in a circle, lapping opponents repeatedly, and having to pit stop occasionally to change tires. Racing games were uh, racing games are stressful because you literally can't take your hands off the wheel or eyes off the road for a second, and timing curves can take some uh, precise braking, steering, and accelerating. Often, if it's a hard race, the results. Uh, result can be up in the air until the last split second and pretty much every race game excuse me every race an error can put you out of the contention before you really begin so yeah not relaxing side note i made my own custom soundtrack for gt2 and blared it from my stereo while playing with stone temple pilots guns and roses rob zombie prodigy <laughs> moby it was the jam Did that's you- actually a really smart thing to do you're a big Gran, uh, Gran Turismo three fan, right? Yeah, and it's funny because I know those. I know that soundtrack. Oh my gosh, these endurance <laughs> races would take hours. We're talking. You oh know, really? Some of them were like three or four hours. Oh yeah. So you listen to the same tracks on repeat, and their Gran Turismo three did not really have an exciting soundtrack. Like it wasn't Tony Hawk's Pro Skater, right? <laughs> that that level of of uh, soundtrack. Was did you play this one? Uh, two, I played a little bit. I spent a lot of time on three and some time on four. Was it? Did you have the same sort of stressful experience? In fighting games, or excuse me, racing games in general, kind of have that feeling. I mean, especially early on when you don't really have a souped-up car and you actually are usually at a disadvantage. Yeah, right. the slightest turn, you fuck it up. You you brake incorrectly. You overbrake. You underbrake. You don't you know accelerate at the right time. You just lose the race. Your car can spin out and you land in the dirt and you hit the wall and you're like, ah, oh, what am I doing? And then you have to restart. And yeah, no, these games can be very very stressful. So what would I you? Understand this. What would you recommend would be a good one of these to start with? Three? Um, I really like three and four, but I think partially that's due to nostalgia. I would probably do some research on my, if I were you and just kind okay. of figure out what people suggest. Gotcha. I think three is a good one, but it could just be me. I remember three was the first one that like I heard like tons of people just going ape shit over. I think it was the first one for PS2, correct? Yeah. That might be why. Um Charles goes on to say, honorable mentions, ghosts and goblins for regular Nintendo. Oh, that's a good one. <laughs> Tiger Heli for regular Nintendo. Commando for the regular Nintendo. Any Mario Kart game. That's funny. Uh, Resident Evil 2 for PSX. And Metal Gear Solid for PSX. Interesting. Ooh. Metal Gear Solid. Yeah, I wonder why. I don't I don't think of that as a, as a stressful game, really. I don't know. I guess because you're trying not to get caught the whole time. 
Yeah, I guess so. But in Metal Gear Solid One, it's really easy to not get caught. They, they're like the the bad guy's vision is very, very uh, limited. Uh, Charles says my vote for game of the quarter is Jedi Knight. I played both Good. it Mark and Adele. Dark Forces a lot in high school. Even remember doing multiplayer Jedi Knight over LAN. I would love to revisit them if I have the time. I'm currently playing Horizon Zero Dawn for PS4. It's a really great game, unique story and setting. Um, beautiful visuals, and there's a good mix of stealth and action gameplay. Um, he also says it doesn't have a super annoying or complicated crafting system, which is rare in my opinion. I actually agree with you on that. To be honest with you. I feel like a lot of games are just flooding this idea of, of, a, of a crafting system where you have to have a billion different items, and it's just... It just gets ridiculous, so I understand that. Um, he says, my only gripe so far is that I wish I could save from anywhere I want at any time I want to, and that I have to craft larger backpacks slash satchels to carry more resources. But I need the resources to craft larger packs. I'm just impatient, I guess. See you next time, Charles. I've heard, you know, obviously when Horizon Zero Dawn came out, I heard a bunch about it, but it seems like for some reason, especially lately, I keep reading all over the place about people how talking talking about how amazing this game is. I really need to, uh, after I finish Metal Gear Solid 5, I, I, I will probably go ahead and give this one a shot too. Because it's supposed to be such a good game. All right, so our votes. So that brings Star Wars up to two votes. So right now it's Quest for Glory is in the lead with three. Star Wars Jedi Knight is uh, in second place with two votes. And Alone in the Dark 2 has one vote. Next email is from Bo. His uh, subject line is joining the fray. Do you think you can take this one also? Fine, Robert. If I have to. You have to. Bo says, hey, guys, I found you guys looking. Oh, sorry. I'm going to wait until you finish that section. Okay. God, I hate Discord. Every update, they do something stupid. <laughs> the, 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 the most recent thing where it like, pops up all the games you have and stuff like that is great. But the problem is it makes Discord take forever to open sometimes because it's like trying to load all the shortcuts. And I'm like, guys, I use this just to talk to people. <laughs> yeah, yeah, I yeah. don't need you to open games. Like, yeah, I re- yeah, I agree. I don't – I get the – I understand what you're going for, but I don't need a, this to be a launcher. Yeah. Yeah, if I want a launcher – yeah, exactly. You understand. We don't need to go there. Yeah. All right. Bo says, hey, guys, I found you guys looking for podcasts talk, talking about things you do to listen to at work for my 4 p.m. to midnight shift. Nice. Wow. Um, I know you already have a night cleaner who writes often, <laughs> but I won't encroach on his turf. I just drive a desk for a trucking company. Am I reading that right? I think that's a joke. I think he's saying like he okay. works at a desk for a trucking company. Okay. <laughs> interesting um yeah definitely don't chase will chase is very territorial just, just keep that in mind um he goes on to say i missed doing this in time for the podcast again and again and again but i wanted to write in the first time as it'd be fun to start participating in the top fives of whatnot nice uh says can you tell i've had this drafted for a while now by being the list y'all were talking about by this being the list y'all were talking about Oh, I see. Okay, I was like, wait, I don't get it. Um, He says, top 10 games of 25 years ago of 1993. Uh, Let's see here. Number one. Oh, wow, okay, so he's going all in on this. Okay. Oh, yeah. Uh, Yeah, so I was was confused by the sense. I'm like, wait, what? I read ahead. Uh, Number one, Breath of Fire. Pulled a 72-hour no-sleep playing (laughs) spree of this at a friend's house who had it. Ironically, he slept almost the entire 72 (laughs) hours. Jesus. I find that a little hard to believe. Uh, If there's... 
weed involved, there's a good chance. <laughs> <laughs> Uh, this holds a special place in my heart. Probably not. A, probably no. Objectively, the best RPG of the SNES era, but certainly one I had. I hold the fondest. Okay. Number two, Seventh Saga. No crazy seventy-two hour streak here, but it's it's graphical style and different. Pick your adventure style RPG with alliances and enemies hooked on. Music was quite memorable too. Number three, Secret of Mana. Couldn't put. Uh, couldn't not put on here. Bought a multi-tap for the Super Nintendo for this thing. Um, no crappy AI just makes the game better. Amazing three-player experience. Number four, Shadowrun, Super Nintendo. I played the tabletop RPG Shadowrun when I found out about this. Revisiting, it's kind of clunky, but another really interesting game and story with entirely customizable characters, uh, character as you gain karma and resources to enhance yourself or learn magic or learn decking. Whatever you wanted to be, you could be. Number five, Dark Wizard, Sega CD. Probably my first tactical RPG. Build monsters, take over grid maps, evolve your units. Uh, array of main PC commanders uh, with their own base army units and special abilities. Really loved the soundtrack too, which was great because you could pop the disc into a CD player and listen away. I forgot about that. That's actually interesting. I, I forgot that you could do that with a lot of old school uh, discs. I don't remember. Uh, oh, you know what? Yeah, because you could like, I think it was, I remember I used to do it with, I think Final Fantasy VII. I don't know if, if I remember it, that. You could like, I remember you could take certain games and you could load them in a certain way and then just listen to the soundtracks. I forget how to do it. I remember on PS2 you could do it pretty easily. Huh. But I don't remember exactly how to do it. Anyways, number six, um, Legend of Zelda Link's Awakening for Game Boy. Didn't have the most excellent titles, but this was certainly one of them. Um, play Link, excuse me, Play it on the go. Sorry, Legend of Zelda. Uh, Oh, there we go. Play Legend of Zelda on the go. Didn't need to drag your Super or your regular Nintendo. If lucky, color TV everywhere with you. It was great. Um, Number seven, D and D Tower of Doom. Hmm. I didn't experience this until college, but so help me, I will build an arcade cabinet for this game before I die. I love this type of arcade game, and having it accessible on PC really made me happy. Short quarter munching game but hella fun and up to four players is always fun number eight rob you're gonna love this nba jam for for the <laughs> sega i played you know what's funny i was talking to a uh, sorry to interject but i was playing i was talking to a guy who's talking about old school games he, he re- recently built a, a cabinet and he said yeah you know I've, I've made a bunch of games for it i got a bunch of sega games on there but man all i keep doing is playing nhl 94 <laughs> oh really <laughs> i was laughing nice. so hard i'm like perfect I was like, man, you and I would get along well. Yep. Um, anyway, so number eight, NBA Jam uh, for Sega. I played it um, on the most. Pick up, play with a friend for an hour or two, having having fun the whole time. Good times, good memories. Switch over to Looney Tunes B-Ball when sick of NBA players. <laughs> number nine, Samurai Showdown. Nice. I played I played on the uh, Super Nintendo mostly. Preferred it to Street Fighter personally with the more Japanese aesthetic. Um, and swords, obviously. Street Fighter didn't have swords. Uh, once you master the combos and specials of anyway, anyone, game got way, way more fun. Number Wait, this 10. game... I didn't know there was a Super Nintendo version of this game. Holy shit. How did I miss that? Got me. Weird. Okay. Cool. Uh, <laughs> number 10. Ogre Battle, March of the Black Queen. I didn't get this until well after Dark Wizard. I really liked it. Plus, it came with two large, two-disc fancy jewel cases. So, obviously, bigger is better, right? Oh, uh, yeah. Honorable mentions. 
are Star Fox, yep. B.O.B. for Super Nintendo, Vegas Stakes. Oh, wow. Shining... I can't believe somebody yeah. else has played Vegas Stakes. Shining Force 2. Played a decent amount of that. Um, Super Star Wars, <laughs> Empire Strikes Back, Top Gear 2, Mega Man X, Mortal Kombat 2, Illusion of Gaia, Battletoads in Battle Maniacs, and Eternal Champions. All right, sweet. I, I'm sure, like, uh, I know very few people besides me and, like, a friend of mine from high school who, who have even heard of Vegas Stakes. That was a surprisingly good game for just a casino game. Yeah, I, I'll be honest with you. I, I remember you've talked about it a few times, but I don't know too much about it. No. Um, so he goes on to say, so far as, excuse me, so as for the top five most relaxing classic games, it goes, number one, SimCity for Super Nintendo. Nice. Just nice to sit. Chill, lay down zones, and watch your city grow. Chill music, too. That's what I'm talking about. Number two, uh, F-Zero for Super Nintendo. Yep, exploding pod cars. They're just there to ruin your life. Aside, a really fun game to plug in and zone out. Number three, Legend of Zelda slash Zelda 2 for the regular Nintendo. Both of these are equally good to pop in and let the nostalgia, music, and fond childhood memories come running back. Number three, Teenage Mutant Ninja Turtles, Turtles in Time. What better way to relax and popping a beat-em-up with most 80s slash 90s kids' favorite green party That's games. a good one. That you don't think I don't think of that generally as a relaxing game, but it kind of is if you think about it. It's just like, because it's so like, just kind of pointless and, you know, you can just play it without thinking, you know, uh, mm-hmm. and it's just fun to look at. That's, that's a good one. Yeah, I can agree with that, especially that one in particular. Yeah. Uh, number four, Dragon Warrior 2. RPG I played a ton as a kid, so it's fun to revisit and play through now and again to relax. And number five, Super Mario Brothers 3. <laughs> fun game, easy mechanics, good for short or long play sessions. Um, to get more recent, I'm 100% putting my vote for which god game to play for Eye of the Beholder. All right, I played this know. on the Super Nintendo. Yep, I played this on the Super Nintendo and played it probably more than was healthy. Interested to hear a new opinion on it. Oh, wow. I didn't and know there now, was a Super Nintendo version. Yeah, actually. Um, and he goes on to say, and for today's list, here goes. The top five most stressful classic games. Number one, Nobunaga's ambition for the regular Nintendo. I love this game. It's so damn frustrating, though. AI is always stronger than you and definitely stronger than if you were running the same fife. Usually you have to start with three to eight player game and feed the extra territories to the leader I want to run to even have a chance. AI is certainly cheatery since it definitely isn't smart, but it isn't well balanced. Yeah, a lot of old school games, especially when you're playing directly against the AI, have that problem where they, they weren't able to make the AI smart enough, so they just give them a huge advantage. It's kind of annoying. Um, number two, specifically my Final Fantasy 1 uh, regular Nintendo cartridge. Battery was dead, so you never knew when you lose your save. <laughs> I actually almost put this on my list for the same exact reason. I couldn't tell you how many times I would get through certain parts of the game and when I would turn it off, I would gently take it on my regular Nintendo. I would put <laughs> yeah, it somewhere yeah. where my cat or my sister or my brother couldn't get to. I would hide it because I was always scared somebody would bump it and then I'd lose my file. So I get this. I get this picture. Um, farthest I got was just upgrading my classes at level 50-something. Next day, turned on the game, save was gone. Couldn't play it again for a couple of years. <laughs> yeah, that's actually pretty far. That's like, I want to say like 60% of the way through the game, if not more, um, when you evolve to the, the second stage. 
number cool. three, populist for the uh, Super Nintendo. Assuming you can get past the what the fuck do I do phase of playing it, <laughs> unless everything goes 100, 100% perfectly in your favor, the AI and RNG will murder you. It sucks. I love this game anyway, but it's very, very stressful. Number four, Spy vs. Spy for the Nintendo. Want to talk about a friendship <laughs> ender? I don't know about this, do you? Uh, yeah, it's, it's, yeah I, I didn't play a ton of this, but I definitely played, so I know what he's talking about. Okay. Uh, he says, Spy vs. Spy. Want to talk about a friendship ender? 1v1 PvP deathmatch trying to out-trap and out-sneak or fight the other spy till someone gets all the five randomly placed things at the same time before the timer's out. That's a good one. Yeah, this is a fun, this is really a fun multiplayer game as far as like NES games go. Um, It's a good one. Uh, Number five, Karate Kid for the regular Nintendo. Do I have to explain this? Movie was awesome. One, it's so hard to love this game. Two, because same name, same level of awesome is supposed to be there, right? That's true. Uh, yeah. Yep. And Bo goes on to say, question of the day. What's the longest stretch you've gone without sleeping because you were binge playing a game or games? I know um, the answer to this. Oh, for me, definitely it's SimCity 2000. When I um, wow, really played it at my friend's house for the first time and I started playing, you know, I don't know what time it was, but like... In the meantime, he ended up going to sleep, and then, you know, it was like next thing I looked at, it was literally 7 a.m., and I hadn't gone to sleep yet. Um, besides that, it would be Grand Theft Auto 3, which well, I played. I didn't stay up. Well, I stayed up to like four, but it was mostly that I played it for pretty much, it was like eight or ten hours, just about without stopping. Uh, so those would be my two. What about you? I mean, I'm sure everybody's going to be very surprised by this one, but uh, definitely wow. Uh, There were, oh man, who I will tell you right now. So high school was a little (laughs) bit tough for me. I was up all night, every night, and I would sleep during class. And after I graduated high school, I had a good three or four months before I had to go to college. And I think this was about the time that one of their expansions or some sort of major patch came through. And I will tell you right now that I was doing these, these very interesting shifts where I would stay up for 36 hours and then sleep for 12 and then stay up for 36 hours and then sleep for 12. And sometimes that 36 became 40. It, it is so easy because of how much Damn. this game is. It just like pulls you in and, and there's just so much going on. It's very easy to stay awake even when you're tired. Wow. And even when you are tired and you're like a little worn out, there are things you can do in game to kind of slow down the tempo and calm down. Anyways, I can't tell you. There are there are some weekends where I don't even know if I slept. I would literally just be playing the entire time. That reminds me of those stories. I'm sure this happened plenty with World of Warcraft as well, but I remember reading plenty of stories about EverQuest where people would literally go maniacal because they would play for 24 hours straight without stopping and then actually start hallucinating and stuff. Like I read, isn't that crazy? Yeah. I read this one uh, article about this kid who played for, you know, 24 hours straight or maybe even longer or something. And he ended up like running out into the street screaming because he thought like the bad guys from the game were chasing him in real life. That's so crazy. Yeah. Yeah, It's, it's actually nutty. There are times that just, and what's so funny is I don't regret it in the slightest. It was right. super fun. <laughs> that's, I, that's good. You know, it's very fun because you do it with other people. That's kind of what, what keeps you going. Sure. Oh, my gosh, dude. Some of those times when, like, I'd forget and my mom would be like, oh, yeah, by the way, we're going to our grandparents' house or, you know, we're going to do this family activity. And I'm like, oh, shit, I haven't slept in, you know, 19 hours. <laughs> yeah. 
and I'm like, Ooh, that's not good. Yeah. So <laughs> yeah. Um, Bo goes on to say, anyways, thanks for keeping this going. Helps the day go by listening to new episodes and revisiting your older ones. Take care. Bo pronounced Bo. Very nice. Thank you, Bo. Thanks for writing in. Hope you continue to do so. Yeah. Bo the uh, night cleaner. I'll take one. Uh, I'll see if I can take one and give you a rest for a second. Next one is from Father Beast. He says, oh, this is a short one, actually. What was this? Hold on. Okay. He says, my vote is for Jedi Knight. Mark that down. I could also give a shot to Quest for Glory, but I actually shudder at the idea of attempting Eye of the Beholder. <laughs> That's his whole email. Thank you, Father B. Oh, actually, we've got a couple more from him, though, so I'll, I'll keep going with this. Um, all right. Next one from Father Beast. He says, hi, Father Beast here. Uh, oh, by the way, our, our tally on the games is Quest for Glory and Star Wars Jedi Knight are both tied for first place with three votes each. Alone wow. in the Dark 2 and Eye of the Beholder are tied for second place with uh, one vote each. Or tied for third slash fourth place with one vote each. So Father Beast says, hi, Father Beast here. I have had difficulty coming up with games that fit these categories. Uh, this is, he. I think he's writing in about relaxing and stressful games. Yeah, yeah, relaxing and stressful games. But my top picks are so strong, I decided to send them in anyway. Well, let's count these down. Most relaxing games. Number three, My Tribe. A cute little game about managing the growth of a group of people on a desert island. It is so peaceful, and the game isn't hard. You starve your, you can starve your people, but you have to try. Interesting. Let's check this out. I'll write this down real quick. Okay. Number two, Minecraft. Yeah, there is a sort of niceness to the work you have to do to build stuff, but when that gets too stressful for you, you can just go off and explore. Uh, the procedurally generated terrain is one of the great appeals to this game. Number one, frets on fire slash guitar hero slash rock band, etc. I'm surprised that nobody mentioned one or more of these in their lists. Being a PC gamer, I didn't have guitar hero, but was interested. That's when I discovered this little freeware program called frets on fire, which had you play with your, which had you play with your keyboard. The original songs included included with the game weren't very interesting, but you could import Guitar Hero songs into it, and some guys on the internet had already done so. This quickly became a big hit with my family, and I got a PlayStation guitar controller and hooked it up, remapping the keys to the guitar. As time went on, other games came out, including ones for PC, but I didn't care about animated figures or campaigns, I just wanted the songs, and the people on the Frets on Fire fan forums kept me supplied. That's pretty sweet. I have songs from around 17 different games for this program, and I use a mod called Fofix, which adds star power and solo sections to the game. Ahem. Anyway, this game can be relaxing when you have become pretty good at a song, so you can just play and not worry about the score. You can just get into the zone where you are easily hitting all or almost all of the notes with your eyes almost closed and just groove. I am a personal fan of Moving in Stereo by The Cars. Oh, The Cars. What a good band. Uh, from a rock band DLC. And my wife and daughter really enjoy Texas Flood by Stevie Ray Vaughan. Another good choice. From Guitar Hero. Oh, and we also like Cliffs of Dover by Eric Johnson from Guitar Hero 3. 
Very nice. That was a good one. Now for most stressful games, he writes. Number, he's just got two. Number two, Half-Life. This is an interesting one. <laughs> I tried this out some years after it came out and had the walkthrough in hand as I played. I was kind of enjoying it until I came to this place where there was a huge pit with these huge tentacles waving around trying to hit oh, you. Oh, yeah. I, I vaguely remember that. Yeah, and, Sam. And I had to climb up and down the side of this pit multiple times to finally be able to activate the jet engines and burn up the tentacles. Every time I felt like I was getting an ulcer as I saved every couple of steps and was killed so much. It was so stressful that as soon as I was f- was finished with that thing, I quit and never went back. And I never want to go back. Wow. Number one, XCOM UFO Defense. Yes, the original. While I had fun with the worldview and base building, it was the ground missions that really drove me nuts. I've, I've heard this. Even when I would shoot down a tiny ship and send my guys in to kill the one injured alien on some farmland, I was on the edge the whole time, freaked out about where the alien was. As for the terror missions, you might as well forget it. A typical terror mission went like this. I would land the shuttle on the city street and lower the ramp. I send my first guy down the ramp and out into the street. He would then get shot as he reached the bottom of the ramp. I would decide that this was too much for me and pull up the ramp and leave. I recognize the brilliance of the game, but it is too much for me. Okay, so I didn't have the five I'm supposed to have for these, but I hope the ones I did have were entertaining <laughs> Father Beast. Those were good. Those were really good. I like yeah, the that's awesome. XCOM one. Thank you, Father Beast. And uh, one more from Father Beast, as a matter of fact. The um, subject line says Baldies with a question mark. He says, Robert, you talked about getting an Atari Jaguar and got a handful of games for it. Among those games was Baldies? I would enjoy hearing you talk about this game sometime. I got Baldies for Windows with a bunch of shovelware a long time ago and could not figure it out. I clicked on the people and nothing happened. I clicked on the buildings and nothing happened. I couldn't find a manual online either. So if you figure it out, let me know. Yeah, I, I do hope to give this a shot. I don't know how soon, but I, I would hope by the end of the year, maybe. Because um, I'm really interested in it, too. It, it does look interesting, but I know nothing about it. It's also for the Jaguar CD, so that's going to be a little bit tougher just because it's so hard to get that running. But I, I do hope to get to get to this in the vaguely near future. All right, um, next one is from uh, Jonathan. Jonathan says, "What up, gents? My vote for game of the quarter is number one, Quest for Glory. Number two, Eye of the Beholder. You get one vote." Yeah. Anyway, we already counted his because he uh, tweeted us also. Okay. Um, he says, whilst listening, I've identified the new hot word of the podcast. Uh-oh. I think Jay was getting tired of all the attention Rob was getting, and he came up <laughs> with his own keyword catchphrase. He doesn't quite say it as off. Excuse me. He doesn't quite say it enough to warrant counting, but I can't help but smile when I hear him utter this word. Secretly, I think Jay says interesting when he isn't interested, but wants to come off like he is. But I picked on him enough last time. That's good. Okay. Uh, nice suggestion on Enter the Gungeon. I Hold on real quick. That does sound exactly... I, I'm not saying that you necessarily do this, but that does sound exactly like one of those things that you say when it's not actually the case. Like, the same way when, when people say... Like, if you tell somebody something that you think is hilarious, and they don't laugh, but they go, Oh, that's funny. Like, it means that they don't really think it's funny, you know? Interesting. <laughs> Very nicely played. Um, <laughs> Jonathan goes on to say, 
Jay, nice suggestion on Enter the Gungeon. I picked it up a few days ago and have yet to put it down. Oh, nice. I love the variety. I love the variety uh, you spoke of and the puns that are included during gameplay. I also like how fast paced it is. You don't have to invest more than ten minutes, at least not yet. I'm not very good. Um, I do wish that the game had more of an upgrade system. Some ideas I had are permanent health upgrades, better starting a weapons, unlockables, and a skill tree. Uh, yeah, I mean, they're trying to keep the essence of a roguelike, so I can understand why they haven't done too much. There are some things you can do, and you can start skipping floors to help accelerate the pacing, but I understand where you're coming from. Uh, real quick, I want to make another recommendation. I was telling Jay this the other day, as well as one of our other friends. Um, if you like Enter the Gungeon, this game isn't exactly the same, but I would recommend, I would highly recommend you at least check it out, which is Risk of Rain. And uh, this is one that Blake actually kind of got me interested in a long time ago. He was playing it, and he mentioned it on the podcast, I think, and I was like, oh, I want to check that out. And I ended up getting sucked into it for a while. It is also a shooter. It's not like a top-down twin-stick shooter like Enter the Gungeon is. This is a, uh, a 2D platforming shooter, but it is pretty insane all of the different kind of weapons you can get, all the different power-ups you can get, all the different this and that. Um, and it is... Uh, it's it's really it's it's also a roguelike in that you know you have one run it's all randomized and when you die you got to start over but one really interesting thing about it is you can keep exploring the levels like kind of as long as you want to to continue finding more weapons and more power ups and stuff but kind of the uh, the twist to this game is the longer you play the as you the longer you play the more difficult the enemies get. So even if you're not progressing through levels, the enemies keep getting harder as the clock keeps ticking. So there's this constant thing of, do I want to look for more weapons or do I just want to advance to the next stage so it doesn't get, you know, fucking hard as hell. And uh, even just beyond that, it's a lot of the weapons you get are really cool. The gameplay is is really on point. It's uh, if, if uh, So just in general, if you like shooters, if you like roguelike shooters, I would recommend checking out Risk of Rain as well. Go ahead. Okay. Uh, Jonathan goes on to say, uh, I recently purchased a Switch. I oh, haven't opened shit. it yet. <laughs> yeah, I haven't opened it yet uh, because it's technically for my birthday next month. Um, I had been saving up for one, but caved when I saw a flash sale on eBay during Prime Day. So now I have one. Question of the day. Do you prefer digital or physical copies of games? I know where you're at, Robert. I don't care. I, I, I would like to have the physical copies, but it, it, it doesn't like it's not detrimental to me. Yeah, I prefer physical copies yeah. for console games. Uh, obviously, for PC, it's you know you basically can't find physical copies almost nowadays. But uh, yeah, for console games, I prefer physical copies. If um, you know, unless it's a game that doesn't have a physical copy, I'm always just concerned that something's going to happen to the library. Or, you know, the service is going to get shut down in 10 years and I'm going to lose access to all these games that I had. And, you know, so you don't like play. So, <laughs> well, I mean, no, because I will, I would think that 20 years from now, I would like to go back and play some of these games just like I, I'm going back and playing now 20, you know, sure. games that I played 20 years ago. So I would like to be able to do that in perpetuity. So, uh, you know, the, the fairly surefire way to know that you can do that is if you have the physical copies of the games. True chains. Mm-hmm. I know. Um, personally, I've always liked to have a collection and enjoy the manuals, etc. However, I've heard that Nintendo stopped offering manuals with their games. I 
I've also heard that since the Switch is more portable, it is much more convenient to download the games to the system so you can easily take them with you. What do you guys think? Yeah, I, I think that's probably the, the best way to think about it is you know, the whole idea of the portability, which, to be honest with you, I don't know too many people that actually travel with theirs, um, like unless they're actually going on travel. So I can understand having physical copies, but at the same time, having them installed to the actual device is probably pretty, pretty useful. I would say, so one, as for manuals, yeah, n- none of the games have manuals with them. But um, as far as it being portable and having it being more convenient to download the games, I would say that technically, yes, anytime you have a game downloaded on anything, it's that inherently makes it more convenient because you don't have to trade out the cartridge. Um, it is really nice on the several games that I do have downloaded on my Switch, such as... Uh, overcooked and snipper clips and a couple others that i have it's so nice just to be able to turn on the switch and just go to the icon and launch it without having to put a cartridge in however um going back to your question which is it's you know more convenient since the switch is portable the car the car i call them cartridges they're basically cards the games for the switch are so incredibly tiny that you can fit a bunch of them in a case. So if you just have a switch carrying case, you can fit, I don't know. I'll pull mine out right now. I've got it right here, actually. Um, This is my switch case. will fit my switch and 12 games with no problem whatsoever because the games are so freaking small. So uh, yeah, I wouldn't worry about portability affecting that because they're so small, it's very easy to carry a bunch of games with you. He goes on to say, Jay, look up Dead Cells. It's coming out to the PS4 and Switch early next month. I think it will be right up your alley. Uh, I actually haven't heard of this yet, interestingly enough. Uh, he goes on to say, I wanted to start, wanted to comment on Charles' top five ideas. I too, li- I too like the idea of top fighting moves. However, my list, probably like the most of the others, will be oversaturated with Street Fighter and Mortal Kombat moves. My suggestion is to drop the fighting stipulation and open it up to other games. I've mentioned something like this before. Uh, Cloud's Limit Break deserves to be one of the greatest moves of all time. Um, Which one? What's he say? Sorry, I missed Cloud's Limit Break. Oh, oh, okay. Deserves to be on um, a greatest moves of all time list. Even if not, then I suggest you do an RPG counterpart with top moves slash summons. No, you haven't done this before. You've just talked about doing it. Trust me. I'm kind of an expert at listening to you guys talk. That's a very true statement. Um, He goes on to say another thought on his idea for top five games um, that we regret playing. Well, how about the top five games we regret Rob playing? Oh, no. (laughs) After all, we are the ones who have to hear about them. That's right. I'm I'm pretty sure Pizza Tycoon would make it on the list. (laughs) Top five stressful games. I want to purposely purposefully exclude games that are meant to be too hard. Games like Super Ghosts and Ghouls, Battletoads, and mods of existing games just to piss you off are definitely stressful, but I'm leaving them off. Number five, the entire regular Nintendo library. Maybe this is a bit extreme, but come on. I got a regular Nintendo Mini the other week and have enjoyed some nostalgia. That is, until I realized my Super Nintendo Mini is much cooler and plug it back in instead. <laughs> Zelda, Zelda 2, The Adventure of Link is torture. Interesting. Uh, number four, beat-em-ups. So here I'm thinking Double Dragon, Streets of Rage, Golden Axe, etc. 
Some of them are really cool, but others have limited move sets and and a god awful hitbox. Projectiles that come and hit you from off screen make it even more frustrating. Oh, and I just remembered Act Razor too. What an offensively annoying and stressful game. Number three, Dark slash Demon Souls. Honestly, there are some cool systems here, but man, I've really gotten behind a death party. I've never really gotten behind a death party. I've never, oh, thank you. I've never really gotten behind a death party. I don't know, I don't know what a death party is. I don't know either. Um, I talked last time about enjoying save points and being able to put the controller down without pausing. These games make me tense and nervous. Oh, and I hate dying. I wonder if a death party is just like a game like Dark Souls or Demon Souls where it's just super hard. I guess where you just die consistently. Yeah. Number two, getting over it. This is a game that's entire purpose is to piss you off, but with diligence is tall is beatable. Um, I would recommend that anyone who doesn't know about this to watch some LPs and get a few laughs. Out getting of over it. Okay, I gotta check that out. Number one, horror games. Doesn't matter oh, which I know one. What this I is. I'm sorry. I know what I know what this game is. Okay. Oh, okay. Do you want to say anything else, or? Oh uh, well, it's it's not an old game. It's a fairly newer game. It's like I've only seen like ten minutes of gameplay, but you're this dude. Like it's very weird. You're this guy sitting in like a giant vase, basically, and you have like a pickaxe of some sort, and you use. It's like it's kind of one of these games, like. Uh, um, like sur- like surgeon simulator or something like that, where it's all physics based and it's based on like having wacky physics, and you're trying to like use your pickaxe to latch onto things to like climb up mountains and shit. Interesting. That's the best I can describe. You just gotta look it up. Um, and number one, horror games. Doesn't matter which one. I hate them all. I won't play them. I won't even go see a <laughs> horror movie if I'm sober. Wow. Yes, I did. Yeah, that's interesting. I love scary movies. I do too. Um, yes, I did go see one drunk once. Apparently, apparently, my wife will never go with me again. <laughs> um, I have no desire to put myself in a situation where I know something or someone is trying to kill me, oftentimes grotesquely. And I am ill-equipped to do anything about it. Nope, don't care. Won't do it. I love horror movies, but I am really a wimp when it comes to, um, you know, not, not all horror games, like stuff like, you know, like, generic horror games resident evil and stuff like that i'm fine with but it's like the survival horror stuff like amnesia and you know like that type of game you know amnesia and obviously five nights at at freddy's as you guys have probably heard and stuff like that i i almost can't even handle it i don't know they're pretty fun (laughs) they are they are and i i like amnesia i got probably more than halfway through i think Five Nights at Freddy's 1, I eventually beat, but man, it was rough. And it was, it, I wouldn't say that I can't do it. Like, I can't handle them, I guess. I wouldn't go that far. But they really do get to me. Cool. Uh, he goes on to say, my last comment is that when thinking about this top five, I remembered some psychological principles from college. Look up Yerkes Dodson Law. Yeah, Yerkes Dodson Law, okay. Um, it talks about how stress, <clears throat> and then he puts in quotes, arousal can be good up to a point and oh, increase yeah. performance. Arousal. Jesus. Okay. <laughs> sure. Um, my real last comment is that the most stressful thing about playing games for me is progressing hours through a story and gameplay only to lose it suddenly and without warning. This has occurred to me. This 
excuse me, this has occurred by several factors. Whether the game unexpectedly freezes, you encounter a hard boss who wrecks you, a storm brews outside and knocks out your power, or someone you you love with all your heart decides to reset the game out of spite. <laughs> this is the most frustrating shit I've ever dealt with. Later. If you if that happens, you should not love that person with all your heart. It's true. Awesome. Thank you, John. Oh, by the way, the, the subject line of Jonathan's email was, who the hell is Mark Summers? <laughs> all right, I'll see if I can... Hold on, let me see if this one... Yeah, all right, I'll take this one. I might have you take the last two. Next one is from Sam, or Samuel. Samuel says, I can't seem to... His subject line is, I tease because I care. He says, I can't seem to think of a cool slash funny intro this time, so I'll just say hi. First to Rob. I know I keep calling you out on 40 Winks. Even though it was technically Jay's choice to go for the random game, you are the one who did the rolls. Okay, fair enough. I think you need a tune-up from RN Jesus. Really, though, I'm only messing with you because I think you're a pretty soul guy. Oh, thanks, Samuel. Wow. Second, I'll address this real quick. Uh-oh. A couple episodes ago, someone, I think it was either Jonathan or Jeffrey, mentioned that I have a podcast of my own. Oh, okay. I do, but I didn't want to bring it up here because I didn't want you guys to think I was using you as a platform to get listeners. But since someone else brought it up, I figured I would at least acknowledge it. That's all. Okay, that's good to know. Sam, uh, write us back in and tell us what the name of your podcast is. I know we mentioned it on the last one, but I would... I, I checked it out briefly, but um, write us back in and tell us what the name of it is because I because I can't remember off the top of my head. But yeah, I'm the same way. When I when I write into uh, like other podcasts and things, I you never want to be like, oh, hey, I run the Classic Gaming Podcast. By the way, here's my email because, you know, obviously that just sounds like you're trying to just promote yourself. Yeah, I can get that. Yeah. But anyway, yeah, tell, write us in next time and tell us what your podcast is. He says, uh, third, my pick uh, for the next game of the quarter. Also, damn you, Rob, for enabling me into basically buying all of these games. Since all of them, except the Star Wars game, are on sale on GOG right now. But by the time this episode is published, the sale will be over. Uh, on the plus side, picking all of them up will only cost like $20 so I can afford it. Anyway, my pick for the game of the quarter... Or G-O-T-Q, pronounced got <laughs> Very good, Samuel. I like it, it. Is Eye of the Beholder. Mark that one down. Oops. I've always wanted to try one of these first-person turn-based RPGs. Uh, it's not actually turn-based, Samuel. And this would be a great excuse to buy like 10 of them on GOG and then play one and forget I own the rest. Yeah, that's pretty much that what I'm going to do because I bought like 10 of these during their most recent sale. Fourthly, my top five most stressful classic games. Just thinking about some of these games is giving me a rage boner. I don't think I ever, I don't think I know what a rage boner is. Do you, Jay? Well, let's you Google image that. I don't think I know what a raging boner is, but I don't get a boner from I don't get a rage induced boner. Uh, I don't think I'm the person to explain this to you. I'm sorry. I think you would. Be, I think I would be. I think you should be concerned if rage causes you to have a boner. Robert, people are into different things. Ah, uh, fair enough. So I'll just list them off and try not to smash my keyboard. With my booner. I added that part myself. Basically any first person... Number five. Basically any first person shooter. Because I am visually impaired, my field of vision is less than 10 degrees, so I basically have severe tunnel vision. Jeez. Wow. So sorry. This entire genre is especially difficult and frustrating for me. 
Uh, it's okay if I'm playing with friends and we're dicking around like trying to cram every vehicle into one of the bases in Blood Gulch and Halo, but if we're being competitive at all, I'm not having fun. Yeah, that sounds rough. Number four, Mario Party 1 through 3. These, <laughs> ga- <laughs> these games are bullshit. <laughs> it's all random luck, and even if you're the best at the mini games, there's no guarantee you'll win. Fuck those random boxes with stars in them. Yeah, we know about that. Oh, God. All you have to do is play Mario. That's the rule. Number three, Sonic the Hedgehog. One reason, and of course he links the uh, the drowning music. Yep. Oops, sorry. That's not the drowning music, by the way. Oh, I wish. <laughs> number two, Battletoads. Do I really need to explain this one? Nope. And number one, Super Ghouls and Ghosts. This is the first time... This was the first game I played when I got my SNES Classic, and after several hours, I still haven't beaten the first stage? Jeez. It's not that hard. Holy shit. This game is impossible here. That, no, come on. All right, Sam, I know Super Ghouls and Ghosts, all of the versions of Ghouls and Ghosts or Ghosts and Goblins or whatever it's called on various platforms is hard. It's You can get past the first stage. I suppose that's all I've got for this time. Loving the show as always and looking forward to another great episode, Samuel. Thank you very much, Samuel. Jay, we got one from Simon. So, so by the way, the vote now, Quest for Glory and Star Wars are both tied still with three votes each. Uh, Eye of the Beholder is, is next with two votes and Alone of the Dark 2 is in last place with, well, is in fourth place with one vote. Police Quest is technically in last place with zero votes. Um, Whatever Simon says she votes for, uh, we're not going to add that on here because she's already um, sent, she already, she tweeted hers at us. So keep that in mind when she says that, that, that won't change anything yet. There you go. All right. Simon says, greetings, classic gamers. I just want to clarify something about the two Sierra games in the possible game of the quarter list. Robert objected to playing Police Crest 1 because it uses a text parser interface. Well, I hate to break it to him, but so does the original version of Quest for Glory 1. Uh, Yeah, that's true. I think she's probably going to explain this, so so just keep on going. Okay. However, both Police Quest 1 and Quest for Glory 1 have remakes which use the point-and-click interface. In fact, unless I'm missing something, it looks like the GOG Police Quest collection only includes the the point-and-click remake of Police Quest 1, not the text parser original. Whereas the Quest for Glory collection includes both the original and the remake of Quest for Glory 1. The remakes of both games only came out a few years after the originals, so are still well within the parameters of the podcast. Okay, yes. Yeah, so what she's saying is uh, Police Quest 1 and Quest for Glory 1 both did have text parsers, which I basically said I kind of refused to play. Um, however, they both also have like remakes which were which came out just a few years after the original versions and they are the remakes are traditional point and clicks they don't use text parsers um yes i did not realize until just now that police quest one also had the remake i did know that quest for glory one uh on gog it can't when you buy quest the quest for glory collection that it has both versions of quest for glory one that's why i didn't mention anything about that and why why i didn't have any objection to to doing that but police quest one i actually did not know that so that's why i uh batted that one down so i messed up a little bit there but no big deal it doesn't look like that's gonna really it doesn't look like police quest is even in the running anyway 
Thank you, Simon, for clarifying. You can go on. All that being said, I doubt anyone will actually vote for Police Quest anyway, nope. especially since Police Quest 4 is kind of notoriously racist and awful, so it probably won't matter. But I just thought I, you should be aware. Wait, 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 hold on, hold on, case... hold on, hold on. Sorry, sorry. You skipped a paragraph. Or I may not have. Uh... It's the one that so technically. Oh, you're right. My apologies. That's cool. Um, Simon <laughs> says, so technically, if you're applying the same rule to both series, you should have gone with either the remake of Police Quest 1 and Quest for Glory 1, or the first point-and-click game that Robert hasn't played from each series, i.e. Police Quest 4 and Quest for Glory 3. I wouldn't really recommend starting with starting the Quest for Glory series with 3, though, because the game uses a character import system that lets you carry your character through the series. Oh, that's which cool. Gives you an which gives you an advantage over starting fresh. Also, most people seem to think that Quest for Glory 3 is the worst game of the series. Though personally, I have a soft spot for it and think it has a really cool setting. Okay, yeah, you're you're right. We should have done it that way, but we're just going to stick to how it is just to because it's kind of too late now anyways. But yes, thank you for clarifying. Um, Simon goes on to say, all that being said, I doubt anyone will actually vote for Police Quest anyway, especially since Police Quest 4 is kind of notoriously racist and awful. Oh, wow, so I did not know that. Matter. That kind of makes me want to play it just out of interest now because I really want to see why it's so bad. Um, but I just thought you should be aware in case this influences your final decision. And so the point that took me four paragraphs to get to is that my vote goes for Quest of Glory 1. Sure, it would probably makes more sense to pick one of the options I haven't played yet, but Quest for Glory 1 is actually my favorite Sierra game. Wow. So I want to make sure everyone play it and share their thoughts on it. Even if those thoughts are half an hour of complaining, like Robert has been known to do with all the Sierra and Sierra, yeah. Sierra games. Yep. Um, I also think Quest for Glory would be a perfect game to have both Jay and Robert talk about, since it's an adventure RPG hybrid and would be interesting to hear perspectives from fans of both genres. That's, that's interesting. That's a good. That's a really good point. Plus, it would be really good timing to do it in this quarter because of the spiritual successor to Quest uh, to the Quest. For Glory series, Hero U just came out. I didn't. I have. How do I? How do I not know about all this stuff? I will have to check this out as well. I don't know anything about it. <laughs> the top five for this episode sounds too stressful to think about. <laughs> yeah. So I'll make this make this a short email by my standards and leave it there. <laughs> Bonus challenge for Jonathan: How many times was the word "quest" used in this episode? Quest, 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 quest. You asshole. That's what you get, Jonathan. Now Jonathan's going to have to count an extra 10 words. What do you mean, Quest? You mean Robert Quest? (laughs) Quest. I didn't know. He asked to also say, except for not counting the times that Jay said it just to say it. Interesting. Quest. (laughs) Last email. I'll take this one because it's short. This one's from Guess Who? Who are we missing? Chase the Knight Cleaner? Chase the Knight Cleaner, yes. Uh, By the way, so... Quest for Glory and Star Wars are still tied in the lead. Uh, and we haven't heard from Chase yet, so he could break the tie here. We'll Chase, see what happens. Do us right. His subject line is that time I stole a question from Waypoint Radio. Jay's got to read fast, Ricky Bobby style, and I've got to write this email but put it off way too late. So here it is. I heard this question on another podcast the other day and felt it was relevant to our interests. Question of the day. Do y'all have games that you know you would have enjoyed more had you played them when you were younger and had more time slash tenacity? Mm, yes. 
I know I've thought about this before. So, yeah. I don't know what games it is. There are definitely games. I kind of feel the same way. Like, yes, but I'm not sure what. You know, I would say probably 90% of the RPGs. Yeah, that that's, a good, that's a good way to go, actually. I saw that's coming to mind, really. Yeah, I'm trying to think what else. I mean, because any game that's a huge time sink, really, now is like, I look at it and I'll try it. And I'm like, this game's pretty fun. But then I'm like, but I really don't have the time. Like, I can't just dedicate, you know, 10 right. hours every couple of days to push through it. Gran Turismo comes to mind a little bit because I always want to go back and play Gran Turismo. But then I look at it, I'm like, geez, that's such a time sink. Oh, right. Yeah, nothing else Nothing else that's coming to mind besides just RPGs, like just about any of them. Okay. Yeah, I think that's a pretty good answer for it. Chase says... For me, I would have to say the Metal Gear Solid series. I don't know if I can get into it now. It is hard to approach, and I'm not sure if I want to. That's understandable. I mean, really, they're not that hard to get into. I mean, they, they're, they're not even really that time-consuming. I would say maybe just go for it. Like, start with the first one. But, you know, obviously I'm biased as far as those go. And that's all I've got. Thanks for your time and sorry for the short email this week, but I bet there are at least one more, two more for you. I think he means to say one or two more for you to read. Cheers, Chase the Night Cleaner. He didn't send us a vote. Chase, you were the chosen one. I believe he may have liked somebody's vote. No, I don't even think he did that. So we are stuck with a tie. Thank you, Chase, for writing in, by the way. Um, so the tie is between Quest for Glory and Star Wars Jedi Knight Dark Forces 2. This is very... So, Jay, do you have much of a preference here? Not really, to be honest with you. I only know a little bit of these games, so I'm, I'm actually completely open to trying something new. I am very torn because... I would really love to play Star Wars Jedi Knight again because I just remember really liking that game. But also Quest for Glory, I haven't played and it's always sounded very interesting. You know, I'm going to say, I'm going to, I'm going to do this. I'm going to say Simon convinced me that Quest for Glory is the way to go. She pointed out that it's kind of a hybrid. Well, it, it is a hybrid RPG slash point and click. So it's kind of the perfect game for you and I to both play. It's also got that other game that apparently just came out that's sort of a uh, spiritual successor. Let's run with it. I like it. Does that work for you? Yep. All right. Quest for Glory 1, it is. You can play either the original, original version or the VGA remake, which uses traditional point-and-click uh, mechanics as opposed to a text parser. If you aren't sure which one to do, I would highly recommend doing the remake because text parser games... Uh, suck generally also as uh, I think Jonathan somebody pointed out these are on sale right now but probably not by the time that this episode gets published uh, Jay you should go buy this ASAP because right now um, on GOG Quest for Glory is $6 nice um, and it's actually the entire series so I would recommend going for it and I think it, I think the sale ends Either, I think it ends tomorrow. Um, okay, so there we have it. The next game of the quarter will be Quest for Glory 1. You can buy, you can find it on GOG. Even when it's not on sale, it's like $10 for the whole entire uh, series. So it's still not, it's still not that much. Um, thank you so much, everyone who wrote in. 
Don't forget to write in if you haven't already done so. Or even if you have, don't forget to write it again. Don't forget to write in again. Mail at ClassicGamingPodcast.com. Again, the top five that we're going to do this time is, what did I say? Is a uh, worst game that you actually purchased. And I think for the next time, we'll, I, w- I would like to do the best fighting, the best like special game, special moves from a, a fighting moves. game or whatever it was. Yeah. But for this one, it's going to be the worst game that you ever actually purchased. Uh, real quick, current gaming subcast. You got anything, Jay? No, I've kind of talked about what, what I've been doing recently. I just played a lot of StarCraft 2. A um, little bit more of Enter the Gungeon. That's kind of it right now. I meant to ask you this last time. Uh, obviously, we've talked about FTL a whole bunch. Mm-hmm. Like, a year ago, I tried to get you to play FTL, and you played it for, like, 20 minutes and didn't really seem to uh, be into it. What was the difference this time? What, what was um, the difference? Why, why I, did- I just... When I'm in the right, when I'm in headspace for things like that, I just I get into it. I don't know. I, I guess you just weren't in. You just I guess that's pretty simple. You just weren't yeah. in the mood for it. Yeah, when I'm in the mood for things, I'm I'm very obsessive. So like when I find something I like, I just kind of dive in head first and and spend a lot of time doing it. But if I'm not into it, I'm just not into it. Sometimes I come back and you know, I really enjoy things, but usually once I try it, I'm just done. Okay, fair enough. That works. Uh, so nothing new. Nothing new really. No, just been kind of rotating between those three games. Yeah, nothing really new for me either. I am I've gotten a little bit farther on Bravely Default. Still, I'm working on that, but I'm gonna have to grind and level up some because I got into a boss that I just cannot. I'm just not strong enough to beat, which is really weird because I've done like all of the optional bosses as well, so I should be high level. But I don't know. I don't know if I just suck at this game or what. But I just need to level some. Uh, also, it's really weird because the. I bought the game used and there, the other person's save file who was on there, they have like a few hours less on their save than, than I do where I am right now. And they're like 20 levels higher than I am. So I don't know what the hell I'm doing wrong, but been playing that some more. Uh, I've also been playing some more metal gear solid five, nothing really new. Although it was kind of funny. So, you know, I told you I have like a ton of hours in metal gear solid five, like, Right now, I'm. I wouldn't be surprised if I'm up to sixty hours, somewhere between fifty wow. and sixty hours, and uh, I got to a part in the game, and like I beat this boss, and it was doing this big kind of like really drawn out cutscene, and then I got credits. And I was like, I don't think that like they're kind of acting like this at the end of the game, but it doesn't really seem like the end of the game, and like a lot of the stuff that I've heard about the game like hasn't happened yet, so I don't know what's going on. So I'm watching it, waiting for the credits to finish and all this. And after the finished credits go, and then it of course goes to like a post credit cut, credits cut scene, and then it's and then it flashes on the t- on the screen, end of chapter one. <laughs> so the first chapter took me over fifty hours to f- to finish. So that's that's a not my, that's my ongoing saga. I I'm not getting uh, if straight. You know, as as impatient as i get with games i am not getting tired of this one at all so i'm very happy to to keep on uh going with it so but that's really it for me bravely default metal gear solid 5 and a couple other stuff that i'll probably talk about some later time i guess that's it for this episode so to recap the new game of the quarter is quest for glory one we'll be talking about that at the end of december don't forget to leave us amazing reviews on itunes till 
all of your friends to listen to us. Mail us at ClassicGamingPodcast.com. You can tweet or follow us at ClassGamesCast. I am at King Octavius. Jay, any, uh, anything we need to say? Watch out for number two. Okay, sure. We'll go with that. Thank you, everybody. We'll see you all in two weeks.